Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. We hope you'll make this a weekly visit. Bring the family. Bring your friends. We hope you have a wonderful time. Come back soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Knights of the Pageless Library. We are a little podcast dedicated to reviewing audiobooks. I am Bo Knight, joined as always by my brother Ryan Knight, and today we are continuing our long look at The Way of Kings, the first book in the Stormlight Archives by Brian Sanderson. <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> God damn it. I, I, dude, I was, I, I was, I, I'm, I'm too in my head about it. I, I, even in my head, I feel like I call him Brian. <laughs> I don't know. He just sorry, like Brandon. Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he does. <laughs> but yeah, today we're going to continue with uh, part two of the book. This is uh, The Illuminating Storms. So this is going to cover from chapter 12 to 28 and also include three interludes. Yeah, yeah. this is like the next big chunk of the book. Yeah, and so if you missed our first episode on this, we're just kind of doing a book club style uh, series on this book. Uh, We just, we thought that covering it in a single review episode wasn't enough for us to talk about it even. So we decided that we would give our thoughts on the whole book as a kind of more detailed look and just record that for a new series on this show. So. Mm -hmm. If you have anything to say about that or anything else that we do, please feel free to email us. KOTPL.pod at gmail.com is still the easiest way to get a hold of us. Yeah. And we've actually been getting a couple emails recently, and it feels good. Yeah, it does, actually. Um, Adam, look at you. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Definitely appreciate the feedback. And, and not nah, seriously, though, like it's it, it helps us out, too. I mean, uh, he got us to, you know, get the next book in our uh, series kind of lined up that we're going to do because of the things that he suggested to us. Mm -hmm. So we do appreciate it. Okay. Bring it back. I, this, I I think this section probably is my favorite section of the book. This, the second part. Sure. Cause I, I really think that chapter, chapter 12 starts really strong kind of introducing us to like the hierarchy and what's actually going on on the shattered planes like because we have kaladin's perspective of just running bridges but he doesn't really know why right yeah so in part one we mostly just had kaladin and shalon right i think yeah i think think it's the only two perspectives there are yeah so and we've throughout part one we kind of heard about this hierarchy system and these high lords and things like that and now in part two we get to see a bit of the inner workings of that and our first couple characters were really introduced to in chapter 12 this is from dalinar's perspective it actually is also adolin's perspective too yeah it also is adolin who is dalinar's son um and we also get to meet king elokar who is uh (laughs) <laughs> Gavilar's son who took over once Gavilar was murdered in the beginning. Right. He's Dalinar's like uh nephew. nephew. Yeah. Yeah, and this this part of the book too for me the the first part of the book is very interesting. 
obviously it hooked me very well. But once I got into this part of the book, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is something, like, really special. I don't know what it was. Um, Dude, it's the shard plate. It it could be the introduction of the shard plate. Because this is where we can see what it does. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also think that I just... I like Dalinar a lot. Oh, as a he's character. my favorite. But I was thinking about that today. I, th- I think he's my favorite, for sure. Mm-hmm. I like Adolin too, but Dalinar is my favorite. Yeah, I just think Dalinar. I don't know. As a character, he's, and I don't know. I haven't, you know, gone as far into the series as you have. But as far as I can tell here, like, Dalinar is kind of that, you know, like Eddard Stark character that you you get to like because he's a genuine character that has relatable traits i feel like you know because obviously horrible people in books make for good characters and good writing but you like as a normal person i have very few things that i can like relate to that they're saying so when you have a person like dalinar who feels very grounded kind of in a reality sense for writing it's just nice that so every time he comes up, I'm like, oh, okay, cool, yeah. What's Dalinar going through today? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I like it. I like him a lot too. And I his character remains stays good throughout the whole series so far, right. anyway. Um, and I mean, obviously, I love Kaladin as a character, but Kaladin yeah. is also one of those kind of like broken characters. So maybe there are people who can relate to him, but like for me personally, I th- I like Kaladin, but there's not a lot that I can like translate from what he goes through to anything in reality for me to draw any parallels with whereas Dalinar is a little more you know more people I feel like could relate to him in general yeah and this this is interesting because like almost immediately right they kind of allude to that Dalinar is having visions or something weird is going on with like his behavior recently Mm -hmm. yeah like like almost immediately like they they say something to him. I mean, the setup of this chapter is that they're taking the king on a hunt because he's never killed a great shell on his own. Is that what it is that he's never done it on his own? I, I yeah, maybe maybe it's set up differently that there's they they found a big um, chasm fiend. I was under the impression that this is just kind of in general what they do when one is spotted really close to the war camps. They just kind of take out a procession and go. And well, the king I th- goes along and gets it. I think this is special because usually the king doesn't go. Right, exactly. That's Yeah, that's what I mean. Is that... Because mostly what this war has... Which I quickly kind of caught on to. It's kind of devolved, right? Well, the, it's almost like commodified now. Yeah, because the initial point of the war was to go to war with the Parshendi for killing the king. Well, and they believed, at least uh, the... The people from Alethkar believed that these chasm fiends were their gods, so they thought this was the best way to get back at them was to kill their gods. Right. When in reality, the, uh, the, uh, what should I call it? The other chasm people, fiends. The uh, no, I'm sorry, I just said it. The uh, the Parshendi. Oh, I'm are, sorry. Are also harvesting the chasm fiends. Yeah, so, because they have something on the inside called a gem heart, so it has like really precious gems on the inside instead of like a beating heart and they can use those gems to make fabrials and stuff like that right or they can um what's the magic they do when they just transform stuff from one oh thing soul to cast 
yeah they these these are very potent means of soul casting so it's brought up a few times that they're using these the hunts they bring the gem hearts back and then they can either you know sell them they can soul cast them into food for their troops yeah. they can do all sorts of things with them but you very quickly realize that especially this chapter right here it explains that essentially this is what the war has turned into is just going out to get the gem heart and very rarely fighting the parshendi anymore which is where dalinar is also starting to have a lot of doubts about the war itself yeah he he is i i mean we get a little bit of character between dalinar and elokar when they they kind of like ride their horses away from the main people to get in front to get like a good vantage point right and he lets him win to like kind of boost his confidence yeah which i like when when elokar uh they climb the yeah the spire kind of peak thing to get a, to the top yeah yeah and dalinar totally could have punked him because elokar's not actually that cool I noticed something listening to this this time around too is that at this part in the beginning of this chapter elokar seems much more confident and um like brash as a king versus where we get to later on where he's just kind of scared of everything doesn't want to go do anything because he's scared that someone's trying to assassinate him Mm -hmm. and i just i thought it was a little bit interesting because it gets brought up in this because of what happens in this chapter but it it doesn't it didn't sink into me until later i thought you know because they even mentioned that he is scared sees shadow or you know sees assassins in every shadow. right but in the beginning of this he actually he's not scared at all you know he takes off and he runs from the whole group and he even tries to outstrip dalinar to get away from him and dalinar's like you know i can't let him get away because i have to protect him so i just thought that was interesting that uh that elokar changes so quickly from this point going forward after what happens to him well i i i see i take that as almost like as as an act because all the other high princes are there and he's like trying to put on like a bravado like he is tough Sure. Because like after he wins, he he like jumps off this high place. He's in shard plate too, so it's not gonna kill him, but it, it's still like a risky way to go down. And he like jumps and cracks a couple plates on his armor like an idiot, which right. I'm pretty sure is intentional though. Really? I, I mean, we could get, yeah. Well, you know <laughs> what happens at the end? Yeah. I, it's hard to not get into it now, but yeah, he he jumps. Dalinar climbs down like the safe way, which Adolin notices. And that's not what he would have done in the past at all. He used to be very reckless, too. Yeah, we should also mention that it's it's not really important, but it's an interesting detail. So the shard plate on a lot of these guys is painted very, mm. very colorfully, well, including Adolin, who wears like the Colin. That's their last name, Dalinar. Mm-hmm. They, they wear the Colin um, blue. So it's like a very cobalt dark blue color that I envision. Um, and then Sadius, they mentioned that he wears like a, you know, like a crimson red mm. painted armor. He also puts like frilly shit all over his helmet, which Dalinar brings up that he really doesn't like. Um, the king wears green, and then uh, Dalinar, does, his armor is not painted at all. No, it's just, just like straight slate gray. gray, right? Yeah. Which is badass. I don't <laughs> know. I think it's so <laughs> <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> Dude, and I, for 
for me, which obviously this is this is stupid, but for me, knowing how poorly most metal takes paint, I'm like, man, you just think it'd be like chipping off and flaking off all the time if you had Probably. armor that was painted. <laughs> yeah, but that, that is an interesting detail because I think it does kind of set Dalinar's like his attitude to, towards a lot of these things is he's not very flashy. Sure. <clears throat> and I don't know if it gets brought up. I think it gets brought up in this chapter, but Dalinar used to be known as the Black Thorn. Oh, yeah. Um, and it gets brought up uh, quite a bit later on. But yeah, like you said, he used to be... He, They talk about like that, that he climbed down, and the Adolin notices that's in stark contrast to the way that um, people have told him that his father used to fight back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he used to be a total badass, too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say he's not anymore, but... <laughs> no, I... It... The but other books get into what what it like what that meant for him to be the Blackthorn, and it, it it's really interesting. Like what his whole past is actually really interesting too. Sure. Oh, where were we? Um, so after they get back down to the bottom, they uh they think that this chasm fiend will show up in one specific spot right so they bring... well they have it baited like they have like a like a master trapper like bringing it in specifically to a right like a spot that's right yeah because they hang they hang like um what pigs carcasses down into the chasm to try off, to... they're off chulls or sorry <laughs> like, yeah chulls. yeah like uh i yeah I, i'm imagining like a carrot and stick situation but that's probably not what's going on <laughs> that's that's probably similar to what's going on um that's right. They they're hanging stuff down to bait it to a specific spot, and as they kind of um, are rounding up everybody who's supposed to take part in the hunt, right? Well, the to, whole the whole freaking like the king's procession of like freaking like minstrels and freaking wine pourers and shit mm -hmm. all set up camp so right I mean, there. That's what I mean. Yeah, it looks like a goddamn circus following. It around. is a circus. It's and, and especially when you realize the shattered plains is like such a pain in the ass to navigate right. that they had to set down all these bridges and shit just to get all these guys out here is crazy. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, Wit is there. Wit. Does uh, yeah, wait, this is when he gets introduced. That's right. Um, I like I like Wit's character. I I'm annoyed that I spoiled that thing that I read earlier. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Have, we don't have we haven't talked about Wit yet. I don't think. No, because this is the first time he's mentioned in the book. I'm pretty sure. Which I love the idea that the king needs a Wit, somebody to like insult everybody for him, so the king doesn't have to like dirty his hands by insulting people. But yeah. people still need to be insulted, so he like hires a guy to do that. I think is so funny. Yeah. Um. I guess we did mention Wit uh, previously because in the one interlude, you thought that that's who they were looking for in that one mm -hmm. interlude, is that you think they were looking for Wit, which knowing what I know now would make sense, like, no matter the circumstances, basically. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so they uh, after they talk to the the guy who's leading the, the, um, the baiting, right? They, the hunt master. They're like, okay, let's get set up over here. We know the chasm fiend's gonna come up, and Dalinar notices. He's like, hey, aren't those lines supposed to have bait on them? As he notices, the dudes are pulling them up, and there's nothing on the ends. And as they're kind of having this conversation, this huge chasm fiend. They even mention that it's bigger than most they've ever seen. 
comes up behind their circus procession, not where they thought it was going to come up. Yeah, so and, tons of people are in danger. It's not good. Right. And have we even kind of mentioned what the chasm... I think we talked about what chasm fiends are, but this is where you get your first real kind of look at one, right? Yeah. I, I don't... I, I picture like a lobster kind of, but like on steroids and like less... I don't I don't even really know. It has like a big mouth on it though, but like little claws to push more meat into its mouth. See, and it's got like big claws. And it's it's interesting that you say that. And I've seen there's some drawings and things like that of and I'm not sure some of them were in the book that kind of give an idea of how some of this stuff looks, but I can't remember if a chasm fiend was one of them. I picture kind of a cross between a an insect and a reptile. Oh, okay. Oh, and the only reason I say that is because the way its legs are, like you said, it has like a lot of legs, right? More like uh-huh. an insect. But they talk about how its eyes, you know, I, when you look at an insect, I would not say that insects have particularly intelligent eyes. Yeah. But in the book, they make it a very constant point to talk about how these things' eyes look very intelligent. Yeah, that's so, true. But when I look at a reptile, I would actually think more of in intelligence not that that's necessarily true it's just how it works in my brain <laughs> um, honestly what i picture are those fucking lobsters from elden ring that just pop out of the water that's what i picture <laughs> I was like in my head i don't know why <laughs> yes that's what i picture when i'm like oh no it's big and scary <laughs> that's interesting yeah lobster is a good way to put it and that's very that's a kind of a running theme in this book that i really like what brandon sanderson did is that it's not your standard like ooh it's a dragon boo like it's it's not that stuff this is this is much more like i said the world is inhabited more by insects and reptiles and things that thrive in these more like desert climates because that's most of what the world is so i do right, like, like that kind of stuff things have to be different in order to survive high storms mhm it's not um it's not just inhabited by like your basic mammals or like I said, your basic fantasy creatures that you find in most other like fantasy books. And I, I know we haven't gotten into this much like the the eco- like the geography of the world, but this shattered plains area is really close to the beginning of the high storms, so they're, when they're really intense. Is that is that how it's kind of set up? Or mm-hmm. is it's close to where the high storms like start, right? Yeah, okay. like their origin. Right. Which yeah. Which is interesting, because, like, I, I don't think they've mentioned Shinovar yet, but we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later, that, like, it has, like, a whole different landscape, because it's so far away from the high storms that they don't hit very hard. They haven't necessarily talked about it as a place, but we've it's been mentioned because of Zeth. Yeah. <clears throat> Since that's where he comes from. Um, yeah, anything else on that chapter? You want to roll into the next one? Because that's no, pretty much and, where it ends, right? When yeah, they... I mean, these these next couple chapters, I feel like, are one chapter to me. Yeah, which I honestly appreciate, because at first I thought the way the beginning of the book goes, where he kind of jumps back and forth from perspectives, I thought it was going to do the same thing. So I thought this huge chasm fiend was going to pop up, and then we were going to go to someone else. But it doesn't. It stays. We roll right into chapter 13, which is called Ten Heartbeats. Yeah, which is such a good name. It really is. I do appreciate it. (laughs) Um so we roll right into 13, which is still from the perspective of Dalinar and Adolin, and it rolls, it picks up right where 12 left off, um, with Dalinar, Adolin, and Elokar kind of 
trying to now get back to where everybody else is to attempt to kill the Chasm Fiend. Mm-hmm. So, does the... Do the Grand Bows get brought up again at all in this book? No. Okay. Alright. Um, a little bit. That's that's kind of disappointing, to be honest. Um, well, I hate to tell... There's something will happen that makes them basically irrelevant. Really? Because I'm just picturing, so like after, so while they're fighting, <clears throat> it it gets brought up that Sadius, so Sadius, even though he's a high prince, he has shard plate, but he has no shard blade. Mm-hmm. So he brings these things that the um, they're kind of, you know, fabricator people made um, called grand bows, which are basically um, stormlight infused bows. Right? Is that is that accurate to how they work? Yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a gigantic bow that can only be pulled if you are in shard plate. Right. So I and I picture it like almost being like a Dark Souls. 3 oh, for type, sure. Where it's so big that he has to plant it in the ground and then. Oh yeah, you have to like put it in, in between two rocks and like pull back on it and pull a whole lance back. <laughs> right. I, that's what I'm imagining this thing shooting too. Yeah, he's basically carrying around like a ballista, but yeah, like a hand ballista. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting too that that this this kind of their warfare it it's much more hand to hand driven versus like you know in most fantasy settings if they were fighting with someone over spans like these chasms they would be bringing things like that uh, ballista or catapults well, or things. Well, I I believe it's because wood is hard to come by. I was gonna say, I I think you're right, and I also think that because they talk about later like people being used to using slings and like using a bow and arrow is like not something that a lot of people would use. Interesting. The Parshendi use them though, right? The, the yeah, the Parshendi do, and the Parshendi are badass. But you're you're right, the Parshendi do use the bows. But they I use... I feel like he mentions it that like it's wood is such a hard resource to to come by that there's like not a lot of excess. To right. use for stuff like that, and it's mentioned a few times that, um, like, Sadius's, like, as his high prince tactics go, he's he's one of the best at um, plateau assaults because of the speed of his army. And then later on, they talk to a different high prince, and Dalinar mentions that his that high prince's uh, bowmen are the best kind of mm-hmm. around and stuff like that. So each of them kind of specializes a little bit in what they do and that makes sense like you said if if wood is a is a finite resource it would be a lot harder to come by have we talked about like the the hierarchy structure between the high princes how how they kind of all have they have like their own territory but they they kind of share but they don't really share how they're they're working together but they're not like on the same side yeah but i kind of (sighs) I don't fully understand it and i find it kind of strange though that okay. there's a lot of there's also a lot of infighting between yeah. them so because they're each kind of like landowners right i picture more of like a you know a standard uh like a king with his knights mm-hmm. who he has distributed land to and then when he needs them they come with their armies to his aid yeah right? his he calls his banners right um, so that's kind of what I picture with the high princes. That's just what they call them instead of knights. Um, but there's a ton of infighting. So like the yeah uh, earlier when um, 
in the beginning of the book with uh, Kaladin when he's fighting and he's fighting for um, oh what is the high prince that he it's he's not a Amaram yeah he's not a high prince he's just a bright lord it's, yeah bright lord Amaram um yeah so Amaram they're they're literally though fighting their own countrymen yeah they just have a border dispute <laughs> yeah but I find I'm like man it's just like civil war all the time even though there's one main like huge unifying thing going on there sh- that they should all be united for they they're not <laughs> like it's just wild. well it was i i the other books get into this more but that that that's like what dalinar and gavilar were doing was yes. uniting everyone right well, and, and so like him thing. dying kind of weakened the links essentially but right. they're they're all unified in the chasm assaults but that's really it yeah, but well, and in a way, because they're also competing with each other. Exactly, so, and that's and that's that's kind of what I wanted to circle around to. How you mentioned Sadius is really good at getting these gem hearts because he's so fast at getting out there, and other people are slower. It's because it's it's constantly like a competition. Like they'll they'll both compete for the same gem heart at the same time and not help each other. And not help each other, right? Yeah. Because it gets brought up later that Dalinar wants to try something new. He wants to try like a joint plateau assault because. He wants to actually try to defeat the Parshendi because he realizes he's like, dude, all we're doing is we're going out here, collecting the gem hearts, and then we go back to our camps and we sit. Whereas he's like, the whole point of this was to defeat the Parshendi because of what they did. Mm-hmm. And when he brings up the idea of a joint plateau assault, they look at him like he has fucking two faces. Like, well, they... have have we got into what they tell the common people about how to obtain shard plate? Uh. I don't know if we've necessarily talked about it, um, but go ahead. So, it, it, anybody who can kill a shard bearer gets to keep the plate and blade if if that's what they have. So any common person that kills somebody with like these immortal tools would gain them. Is 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 at least what they're told. Right. So so common people would kind of like flock to fighting to uh, to get shards. But this also plays into the hierarchy of why these princes are so against each other is because the Parshendi have some shard bearers. And so they, they don't want to work with, with uh, Dalinar because they want to get m- more shards and he has the most. Yeah, the between like him and the king, they have the most. And Dalinar is obviously really close with the king because mm-hmm. he's his uncle. So, yeah, I would say everybody kind of sees that as his advantage, too, is that he already has access to all these resources that they don't necessarily always get access to. And I, I love this. Uh, this chapter, to me, is kind of where it sold me on the book because we get to see, like, what shard plate can really do when they fight this chasm fiend. And the blades. The, yeah, the shard blades, too. This is How the they first like, time we're introduced yeah. to the blades. You're, yeah, that's true. And I believe this that's why the chapter is called Ten Heartbeats. So as getting back on track here, sorry, we're just uh, Sorry, I feel like we're <laughs> but I I know I, I we explained something and I'm like, "Oh, well, we talked about this though. I feel like it's important." <laughs> yeah. Um so Dalinar starts running towards this chasm fiend as it comes up and he he holds his hand out to the side and he's talking about it him needing 10 heartbeats. And that's when after 10 heartbeats is when his shard blade is summoned and falls into his hand from mist. Yeah, um, it just appears so cool. Yeah, it's it it's a really cool visual, I feel like, too. You just This guy running with his hand kind of behind him and out to the side. 
And then all of a sudden, this giant fucking sword appears in his hand. Um, and we talked we talked about this a little. I'm gonna derail us again right now. Um, we the one time we saw the shard blade earlier was when uh, Zeth was using his right. Yeah. Um, we find out later that Zeth's connection with his shard blade is a little bit different than everybody else's, or not not necessarily everybody else's, but at least from yeah. like Dalinar. Um, yeah. And I. I've seen a lot of the fan art of these things, but I guess in my vision, I have I've envisioned stuff that's a little bit different. So, Dalinar kind of mentions when his shard blade, uh, Oathbringer is that what he calls it, right? Yeah, his is sweet. His when his falls into his hand, it's like it's massive. I mean, I picture this like comically, you know, freaking Elden Ring size great sword. Oh, for for sure, this is a two-handed swinger. Yeah, but not really because it's a shard blade. Yeah, um, and his, it mentions that it's sort of, like, has a almost, like, cleaver-style, like, curve, and then it also hooks back on the end, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I imagine, like, oh, like, yeah, like a sword, like, with a hook on the end of it, almost, like, yeah. it, like, a hook's back, like yeah, a gut like, hook. Exactly, yeah, so it's, it, it's not, a lot of the, the fan art stuff, they're, they're almost, like, standard sword i know i find that very lame too because i i imagine like it's like a it's like a white mist blade it doesn't it doesn't really have like a metal to it well the, and they talk about a couple different ones that have uh like a color hue to them because mm -hmm. they mention um i don't remember whose it is uh well it's not not to get into spoilers but the one that um kaladin has seen um has a oh. It has a red hue to it when it oh, is and it, summoned. And it looks like fire, like rippling. Exactly. It's fucking badass. So, it, to me, these things are all very, like, unique swords. And I just, I only bring that up because I've seen a lot. There's quite a bit of fan art that has them unique, but then there's also quite a bit where it kind of just, they're all very similar, but with different, like, pommels and things like that. Yeah, I, um, yeah they just look like swords to me. And this and this is probably not accurate, but I also imagine that Zeth's is much more like a like katana style of small, yeah. So light, it's like fast, sword. thin. Yeah, that's more what I picture. I don't necessarily know if that's true or not, but to me, whenever I hear of him summoning his blade, that's what I envision: is that he has a you know more like a katana style blade. Oh, so they oh, just to ring it back in. <laughs> yeah, please. They're 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 <laughs> fight they they fight the chasm feed. Blows go back and forth, and Elicar distracts it. He like decides to distract it because he's on his horse, right? And Dalinar sent Gallant off to not get hurt. And like as he's riding away, his fucking saddle girth breaks, and he falls off his horse like a dipshit. Yeah, and then his horse is like immediately killed. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It actually oh. almost saves his life because he falls, like, because mm -hmm. the horse goes to turn, and he falls one way, and then I feel like the horse immediately gets like destroyed after he falls. And this is this is part this part's awesome. I feel like I can hear sweet music kick up when Dalinar just like appears out of nowhere and catches one of the claws as it comes down from the chasm fiend like a like a badass. Yeah, which this thing is supposed to be huge, like. Uh, Adolin even mentions that he like almost disappears under the claw. Yeah, but he down. like catches it and just like freaking tosses it off of himself yeah. like a like a like, badass. Yeah, lifting it up, they can see too visually that his plate kind of is cracking under yeah. the weight of it. And then I believe Sadius hits it with his grand bow, right? Like in yeah. the face 
to distract it, which we should also mention their whole plan during this hunt is just to shoot this thing with arrows for long enough that it's weak enough that they can then run in with their shard blades and kill it. Yeah. And which obviously is, it's yeah, did not, not how it goes on. at all. No, they had to actually fight this thing. During this too, Adolin is running at past this thing's many legs, and as he cuts them with his shard blade, it, basically the life goes out of them. Like, he doesn't cut their legs, the legs off, but this thing pretty much loses control of them, so it starts to kind of buckle under its own weight. Yeah, which is a very unsettling part of shard blades to me. <laughs> that they yeah. could just, like, kill part of you. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned it before in our first part, but they... I feel like they mostly kill you spiritually. They don't necessarily... <laughs> yeah, that's so fucked up. Because <laughs> it even says, like, that people, like when you kill a person with it, their eyes, like, turn black and, like, yeah, and burn, burn out. out. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty brutal. Um, So they bring this thing down, this chasm fiend, by continuing to kind of cut its legs out. And then uh, Elokar summons his own shard blade and gets up there and actually kills the thing and cuts the gem heart from it. So once some, mm -hmm. we, we mentioned this before too, but once something is dead, like once the chasm fiend is actually dead, the shard blades can then cut its flesh. Yeah, which you're, yeah, which is really weird. Oh, that's very unsettling to think about. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ugh. Anything else on that one? No, I, that's one of my favorite chapters. I just love the scene of, like, Dalinar just fucking catching the claw to protect, like, Alucard. That's so that's so badass. Yeah. And I, it's, I, I love these, like, tantalizing hints that we get, too, that, like, there's more to, to Dalinar than we've seen. That, like, he has, like, these bursts of, like, immense hero, like, heroicism. There's another yeah. in the book that, that it, like, the whole time I listen to it, even the second time, I'm, like, my mouth is open. It's so cool. Yeah. I agree. Uh, are we ready to move on to the next one? Yes. Okay. Chapter 14 is called Payday, and we're going back to Kaladin's perspective on this one. Yeah, so we're jumping back over to Bridge 4, and if, if the, the last thing that happened with Kaladin, if I remember correctly, is he was going to kill himself, and then Syl made him decide that, like, actually, I'm not going to give in to that, like, inner wretch that's in me. I'm, I'm going to raise these bridgemen up, and I'm going to protect them. Yeah, because he was promoted, right, to squad leader. <laughs> Pro yeah, promo promoted is a funny way to put it, but yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's not really a promotion. At all. He's like, hey, you're gonna die later. Now or later, it doesn't matter. You're the one yeah. that's been around the longest. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So Kaladin decides that he is going to start basically trying to lead by example, right? So mm -hmm. he like he gets up early. And he tries to get the rest of them up early. Which I love this, that one of the guys is like, fuck off, and he just drags him out. It's like, yeah. no, you're getting up. <laughs> yeah, and Kaladin's not like a small dude. Like, he's he's a pretty large he's guy. He's tall, yeah. Yeah, he's at least very tall. Um, so he also decides to... He, so the guy he drags out is Moash. And Moash is not necessarily either like a pushover. And Kaladin decides he has to do it to somebody who's not just a pushover. Because if he does it to some weakling, nobody's going to respect that. Mm -hmm. So he drags Moash out of the barracks, and he tells them all they need to line up so they can do, like, a morning muster, basically. Yeah. Um, and they basically all laugh in his face. And they just, do! They go their separate ways. <laughs> They're like, fuck you, man. Well, <laughs> yeah. don't they actually, like, Gaz, could this guy tell us what to do? And Gaz is like, no, he can't. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you're only in charge during bridge runs. 
or some, and it's not even really Sorry, Lordling. Yeah, Lordling. That's what they always call Kaladin. Um, because Kaladin mentioned, you know, when he got there that he fought under High Lord Amaram, and none of them have ever even heard of Amaram. Like, yeah, they don't like give who a shit the fuck is Amaram? Yeah. So, Kaladin decides that um, he's going to try to train because he wants to be. If he's going to be a bridgeman, he wants to be the best bridgeman there is. So he wants to do. Um, he go. Is this where he goes to the the uh, carpenters and gets a piece of? Yeah, bridge? I, I love this scene. Yeah, he like they 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 have like a section of the bridge built. So I imagine like a handle and like you know a couple huge pieces of wood together and he's like can i borrow that and the guy goes borrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's such a foreign concept yeah <laughs> so kaladin proceeds to pick it up and just like run with it to practice yeah to build his freaking stamina and stuff yeah because that's what he's gonna do is run bridges um so after he kind of does this he he notices that some of the other bridgemen notice what he's doing they none of them give a shit really but no, they none of them join in but they do watch yeah, a couple of them notice what he's doing. Um, he also has a run-in with Gaz, right, over his pay. Right, yeah, this is when he's going to get paid, and he Gaz gives him four spheres, because Kaladin told him he could keep one of every time he gets paid. But, but Kaladin's like, was give it, it to me. And what was it for? I, I can't just remember to keep, what. Just to keep his, like, let Kaladin kind of be the bridge leader oh, and op right. operate his way. Yeah, he because he threatened him at the end of the last one, yeah. where where he basically told him, and then Gaz is like, "You can't do that." And basically, Kaladin was like, "I will just kill you, okay?" Yeah, he, like, you. he just sticks a fucking step towards him. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'll just kill you, Gaz, you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, um, I do like the detail though that you were saying is that Gaz gives him four of his five, and he's like the fifth one, Gaz. And he's like, you said I could... And he's like, give me the sphere. Yeah, he's just like, now, Gaz. <laughs> yeah, and he gives it to him, and then Kaladin immediately hands it back. And he's yeah. like, I told you I would give you these. You're not keeping my pay. Yeah, exactly. Which I, which I feel like is a good precedent to set, though. Yeah, oh, I agree. And I feel like it's a... For having no leverage, it's a good power move on his part. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, I like this whole the Bridgman arc, and especially like what ends up happening later I, I i don't know i i think this is all some pretty good stuff and i and i love the performance on kaladin i think it's so well done in the oh, audiobook yeah. absolutely by michael kramer it's so good yeah um after kaladin talks with gaz and gaz the gaz straight up tells him like you cannot make these guys do anything like that's you can't mm -hmm. so uh he leaves and then he has uh Sill, right, follow Gaz because now Kaladin's worried that Gaz might just try to have him killed. Mm -hmm. Because he threatened him multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Yeah. Well. Uh, and then Kaladin continues training, right? He kind of uh, does his running and jogging and different things like that. And then he talks with uh, some more of the guys around lunchtime. Um, and uh, god damn it what else happens because these guys still think he's just insane like they yeah they I can't remember if it's this chapter I might be getting one mixed up but I, I know he does this board routine and they come over and they actually like test to see how heavy the board was 
Yeah, they Rock, thought he was fucking joking. Yeah, and then Rock like pays them all because <laughs> yeah, he like yeah, he actually like gives out spheres, which is really funny. <laughs> I forgot <Yeah>. about that because <laughs> he bet that he was using a like a fake piece yeah. of wood to try to impress them. Oh, Sil man. Sil also mentions that she, as a spren, is starting to feel different, um, because yeah. up to this point, you know, spren. Spren are just like fleeting things in this world, um, but Syl realizes she has she's getting like memories now. So that's kind of an important detail that gets brought up later. And I feel like it's obvious from her dialogue that she's getting more articulate. Sure. Yeah, and she's starting to understand more human concepts. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Oh, are we? Are we missing anything in this chapter? I don't think so. It one's kind of pretty, pretty short and sweet. Uh, okay. Ready to move on to the next one? Yes. Okay. We will move on to chapter 15, The Decoy. This one goes back to Adolin and Dalinar's perspective. Yeah, and I believe it starts with Adolin. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're kind of like cleaning up and like assessing the damage after the Kazafine kind of destroyed a bunch of shit. Yeah, it it destroyed uh that's also part of what was so bad about the assault is that um those <clears throat> the you know the whole cavalcade of people following them got stranded on that plateau because the Kazafine wiped out the permanent bridge that was behind them mm -hmm. that they had crossed. So um yeah, and Adolin kind of talks, he reflects, he doesn't really talk, he, we get some <laughs> kind of inner dialogue on him, um, about how he notices how the uh, the other High Princes are, you know, pretty, kind of disrespectful towards Dalinar and, and he, including Elokar, realistically. Yeah, El Elokar is kind of an ass. Yeah, well, he's a little bit of both. Like I said, in the beginning of this, you get that he is kind of this you know cocky brash leader but then later on i also think that they disrespect him because they think he's also a pussy so, whoa yeah because <laughs> so, he kind of is right that's what i mean it it does shift a little bit and, and then we kind of it, it kind of descends from there right to elicar and dalinar and sadius all kind of talking about like the gem hearts they've won and how Sadius's man-held bridges are so much more effective, and like it doesn't matter that he's losing lots of men; it's still like just the best strategy, and he's making the most money. So, right, and that's what it always circles back to: that Dalinar is like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, he's like, he that's thinks it's not disgusting. What this is, yeah, he's like, "That's not what this is about. It's not supposed to be about winning the Gem Hearts. It's supposed to be about defeating the Parshendi." Yeah, and, and he thinks losing human lives just to win gem hearts is not worth it. Exactly. Yeah, and so Dalinar uses more of, like, siege bridges that are towed by chulls. And then yeah, when so they take a long time to set up. Right, and then they're brought up, and then they kind of have to, like, lock them in place and then ratchet them across. But they're very safe for the men, because the men can hide behind it yeah. while the arrows are being fired, and they won't be hit with any arrows for, while they're behind it. Um. And Sadius obviously thinks that's a joke because they're so slow. 
And they, is this where they talk about, too, there's, like, a chart, even, that shows how many gem hearts each yeah. high prince Well, no, won. I think that comes up later when he's oh. looking at that map. Okay. Yeah, which but is th still this just part, so stupid. This, this is the part immediately when I'm like, fuck you, Sadius. Because they, they start kind of arguing and, like, chiding each other back and forth. And then Sadius calls Renarin, who is Adolin's brother, so Dalinar's other son. He's been to re referred to a little bit. He's kind of, like, a weak nerdy and like bookish kid so he's not really <laughs> he wears he glasses is. yeah what a nerd is, is, is that a bad way to describe him <laughs> no that's exactly right and they even mentioned the fact that I'm, he has to wear I glasses like him. Yeah, yeah he has to wear glasses and he has something called like the blood weakness so he gets like the shakes mm -hmm. oh and we forgot to mention in that chapter with the chasm fiend that when Renarin thought that they were in danger he rode his horse out there yeah he fucking drew his sword he tried, which is a normal sword, and he yeah, also he has doesn't no have sharp plate on. He, yeah, yeah he, he's just an, he's an idiot. But yeah, well, that's what Sadius basically says. He's yeah, like, and Sadius calls and fucking calls him useless, and it, it oh man, that that honestly makes me so mad. Yeah, um, and he all he insults both uh, Adolin and Renarin at the same time, yeah. saying that one you know one is brash and the other is useless. And Adolin almost challenges Sadius to a duel right there on the spot because so he's does, sick of him. So does a uh, freaking Dalinar said yeah. like he's like shaking, grabbing the table, and he's like, he's what did he say? He's like, I thought I heard you say my son was useless. Right. Exactly. I believe I misheard you. Correct. Yeah. yeah and then Sadius kind of. Backs yeah. Down. He's like. He's like. Yeah. I guess because Dalinar will just crush my head like a fucking watermelon. Yeah. Yeah. I. It it does a very good job of painting Sadius as this like just piece of shit um, yeah but i i don't know if it's explained right here but sadius is like the second most powerful high prince after dalinar so yeah. it's it he's so he can't really like be in open war with him and it gets brought up a lot that um when gavilar was in charge when he was the king sadius dalinar and gavilar were all very close mm -hmm. like, they were friends and i don't remember does it get brought up at this point why Dalinar and Sadius had a horrible falling out? I don't. It, I don't know does. if they had a. a it, it does. Oh, it does. Yeah, it gets brought up in this chapter, um, in a, a little bit later. Um, so, right while they're in the tent having this discussion, um, uh, Adolin and Dalinar, they, Elokar wants them to look into why his saddle girth broke, right? Mm -hmm. Because he thinks it was an assassination attempt that it was cut somehow and that's what caused him to fall so he wants them to look into it and see if that's what's going on so uh dalinar basically assigns this to adolin and he says i need you to go talk to you know because it was our men who who set the king up before we left mm -hmm. so i need you to go talk to all our leather workers and see if they can tell you anything about this this saddle girth um and they also, you know, decide to kind of double down on the king's guard and all of these things because they, Dalinar is treating that as a very real concern that that is what could have happened. Mm -hmm. um, even though later on the king doesn't think he's being serious enough about it, which leads into more drama. Um, yeah, yeah, it yeah, it gets so much more complicated. <clears throat> Dalinar also tries to kind of goad these one of the other high princes, uh, high prince Vama. Um, when he talks to him about, you know, that nobody kind of wants to work together, but he talks to 
Vama about, you know, it's very interesting that you use the king's soul caster so often for your camp, even though you don't do hardly anything to help out the king, basically. Yeah. Um, then it gets kind of brought up because Sadius and uh, Dalinar find themselves alone, right? And Well, Sadius was actually in on, like, the the getting him to chip in because Sadius is raising his wood prices, so they have to use the Soulcasters. Yeah, because Sadius, of course, owns one of the largest forests. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's in control of it, I should say. He doesn't own it. He's in control of it. Um, and it does... I don't remember exactly how or why. Um, oh, that's right. Adolin asks, you know, why... Dalinar kind of still has any respect for Sadius because he does like at the end of the day mm -hmm. and Dalinar explains that during the night when Gavilar was killed uh, Sadius actually when Zeth saw who he thought was the king leaving that was actually Sadius disguised as Gavilar mm -hmm. and in the hopes that the assassin would follow him and leave Gavilar time to actually escape. But obviously that's not what happened. Gavilar ended up fighting with Zeth and getting killed anyways. Yeah, that's true. And so now there's a lot of tension between Sadius and Dalinar because of that. Dalinar or Sadius also accusing Dalinar because Dalinar was passed out drunk when yeah. Gavilar was killed. So it's a uh, Honestly, Sadius is the only one who has a leg to stand on in that argument, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's totally understandable from Sadius's perspective. Yeah, exactly. It really is, because it's not like Dalinar tried to do anything. He didn't well, no, he was fucking. At all. Yeah, he was fucking passed out on the ground. And they get into this more later in the books, but like that was kind of Dalinar's role is that he was like the king's guardian. Like that's like what he did. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Um, and then a little bit more happens, right? They ask about the saddle girth. This actually, this chapter is really long. This chapter um, is super long. This is one of the ones that's like an hour and something. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and basically that they just kind of talk more about that. They're gonna look into the like the saddle girth and uh, a couple other things before they head back to their own war camp, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else on that one? There's not a whole... Basically, the whole point of that chapter was to bring up the idea that the, the High Princes are infighting over who has more gem hearts, and then also to kind of, I think, get that point across that why Sadius and Dalinar have kind of bad blood between them. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's a good chapter. It's There's not a lot to talk about. Right. It's just not... It honestly is just a much more story building chapter. It's not like a high drama chapter, which is perfectly yeah. fine with me. <laughs> it, it's a lot of world building too, because at this point in in like the story, we don't know a lot about the high princes. Yeah, really. Exactly. Uh, are you ready to move on to the next chapter? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, so chapter sixteen is called Cocoons, and this is an interesting one because it's from Kaladin's perspective, but we're jumping back to Kaladin's childhood. Well, it's not really even his childhood. Um, he's like 12 or well it's seven and a half years 
before so he, current events. So yeah, I think he's about twelve, right? Because he's like nineteen. Uh, something like that. Yeah. So, um, and this is basically this is a ton of backstory building for Kaladin, and I love it. Honestly, well, I'll be too. These parts like, are actually so good. And I, I love the way this is structured because we kind of got this beginning part of Kaladin, and we saw Kaladin from uh, that other kid's perspective on in the fighting and then next thing we know kaladin's a slave so now we're getting to go back and we we get this interesting kind of way that uh brandon sanderson decided to do this where he went he's going back and establishing kaladin almost from an early point and then he's going to meet those two perspectives together in a super good way Mm -hmm. yeah i i think this I, i love learning about kaladin's past yeah. To and like why he's able to be the man that he is is interesting. Yeah, and it's also been I don't know if it's been brought up yet, but like other people find it weird that when like somebody gets hurt, Calvin's the first one to like be like, "Hey, bring me a knife and build a fire mm-hmm. and give me some bandages" cuz they not everybody knows how to do that stuff and this we start to understand why Kaladin is really able to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't think this was mentioned previously right did was there previous there might have been some previous things before i think we got one it was like it? yeah i think we got one of these yeah, I, I feel like this is the first kind of major one um so kaladin is talking to laurel who is the daughter of the their bright lord bright lord of uh hearthstone which is the town that they live in um and Kaladin is kind of talking about the fact that he doesn't necessarily want to become a surgeon, which is what his father wants him to do. And instead, he would much rather go be a soldier and win shard plate and shard blade for himself, since he is a dark eyes, and he thinks that that would more elevate him to the status of a light eyes. Yeah, and I don't remember if they talk about it here, but he's actually kind of a higher station than like a normal dark eyes because his dad is a surgeon. And he's also from Second Non. Yeah, so he's part of Second Non because of his dad's station is where oh, okay. that comes from. And and I don't fully understand that like hierarchy system, and I haven't dug into it too deep. I but it, I haven't dug into it either, but just just know that the people in town, like the kids in town, don't like Kaladin because he's essentially above them. Yeah, exactly. Um, even though he's really. No, <laughs> he's just a he's just a normal kid, yeah. Um he uh in this chapter we kind of find out too why they don't like him. So uh his brother TN um his younger brother uh you know kind of shows up and wants to go do something interesting. He's constantly just like wanting to go around and do stuff and Kaladin's like, "Hey, let's go hunt for lurgs." And I like this thing. He shows him. It's like a cocoon. Oh, they scare the shit out of me, man. Yeah, so it's like this cocoon. I imagine something almost like a freaking baseball size. Um, and they pour water on it, and this little – it kind of dissolves, and this little creature comes running out and starts, like, looking for stuff, and it looks like a freaking spider, basically. Um, and TN is just super excited about this, and uh, Kaladin ends up telling him, like, I like that he's like, go find another one, and you could save one for later and put the other one in Father's bathwater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I like little things like that. It's just, it's really 
silly, but I, I like little world building things like that because this creature, it cocoons itself until the high storm, and then when it starts yeah. raining, that's when its its cocoon dissolves so that it can come out and feed on like the creme and things like that yeah. that, that are brought with the high storm. So just kind of yeah, the ecology of this world and like how things are kind of set up with with these cycles of high storms is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, so this is where we kind of get why also why the other kids don't like Kaladin is that he goes past a bunch of other boys and he thinks that they should be out in the fields like working, right? Because pretty much everyone in this town is a farmer except Kaladin's family. Yeah, pretty um, much. And then obviously I think the fact that Kaladin hangs out with Laurel is also not in his favor. Um, yeah, that's true. So he goes up to these other kids and he's like, hey, how come you guys aren't out working in the fields? And they basically get offended by this and they're like, you know, what would you know about working in the fields? Yeah, what um, would you know about anything, Kaladin, you stupid <laughs> idiot? And they explain that they found some like worms, so they give they gave him the afternoon off. And this one kid tells a story about his dad having killed a shard bearer or something like that, but not getting the the shard blade or something. And Kaladin's yeah. like, basically Kaladin calls him out, and he's like, I don't think that's true at all. Well, it, and Kaladin's very specific about the information, because the guy talks about like fighting in a border war, and he's like, no, there's no shard bearers in border wars. Sorry, your father yeah. must have been... Your father must have misremembered or something like that. Yeah. And uh, that's the kids like, you call him my, you call him my fa a liar? I like how they, yeah. how they talk. Fa? Uh, yeah. Well, so. And you calling him a truther. The kid, this other kid, Jost, basically is like, you know, I'm going to fight you over this because, you know, you disrespected my father. So they get these quarterstaff things out. And this part, it pisses me off that Laurel goes and, like, sits down and just basically goads Kaladin into fighting. Even I know, it's kind of fucked fight. up. <laughs> it, it is. Um, Kaladin doesn't really want to fight this kid because he doesn't really like hurting people. That's not really mm -hmm. his thing. Um, but then he really quickly realizes that doesn't matter because this kid whips Kaladin's ass. Like, yeah, he does. He, he beats the shit out of him. Yeah, so he busts up Kaladin pretty bad with his freaking quarterstaff. And, and then Kaladin gets pissed, and he's going to try to fight anyways. And I, the kid just, like, steps on his hand, and he's like, that's enough. I don't really want to hurt you. And so mm -hmm. this really kind of lights a spark under Kaladin, though, because when he looks back at Laurel, she, like, puts her nose up and just leaves him there on the ground. Like, basically, she is she is offended that he didn't win. And I was yeah, just like, Jesus she's such a Christ. bitch. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's so rough. Um, and then we find out that uh, Bright Lord Wistio, which was Laurel's dad, has died. And oh, is that is that how it ends? Yeah, and everybody's pissed at Kaladin's father that he didn't save him, right? Yeah, but there was almost like nothing he could do. Yeah. Because uh, everybody just assumes, you know, it, it's kind of like how my job is a mechanic, and so everybody assumes I can fix anything that is mechanical, and that's not how it works. <laughs> um, it's oh, just there's like, actually a great Why Does Kids You Know skit about that. Really? 
<laughs> yeah, they're like on the sinking Titanic, and one of the, one of the guys is a mechanic, and they're like, "Sir, go go fix it." And he like comes back, and he's like, "See this? Your O-rings are fucked. I gotta go get new ones. I can't just fix it without new ones." Yeah, so good. Just because I know, I know the feeling, and it's it's so painful sometimes. <laughs> That's I I'm sure I've told you this before. One of the guys I used to work with, we would we would come up to a machine, right? It's broken, and he would. He had this uh, extendable magnet that he would keep in his pocket, and he'd pull it out, and he'd extend it, and then he'd wave it around like a wand, and he'd go, ta-da! Oh, it didn't work! <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> he just... <laughs> and nobody else knew what he was doing, but I was like, dude, I get it, because they that's how they think that we fix stuff. We just mm. magic it back together. <laughs> it's like, no, doesn't always work. Anyway, sorry, derailed the shit out of it. Um, oh, so yeah, so Bright, Bright Lord Wistio is dead. And this is also where we find out that okay, um, yes. he left a lot of money, right, to Kaladin's father to be able to send Kaladin to Carbronth to be trained as a surgeon, right? Yes. Yeah, like okay. that's like paying his way into Carbronth is what right. I understood. And because Kaladin's father doesn't charge for his services, so they don't really have very much money at all. Mm-mm. So... But, as we'll find out later, you know, the other townspeople don't really appreciate this, that he was just left a bunch of money. Well, no, they don't. Because it was essentially tax money. <laughs> well, it was essentially tax money, too, and we'll get into the circumstances of how he gained the money are a little fishy. Right, exactly. But not yet. Uh, anything else on this one? No, I, I like that chapter. I love the little bits about Kaladin. I think they're super good. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I know, I've, I'm have i sure I've brought this up before. Uh, so, Kaladin's dad, his name is Liren. And I just have a huge respect for the naming convention in this book. Like, very few standard mm -hmm. names that you would hear today. Very, very much so, like, well made up. But... They don't sound silly names either, you know what I mean? So I just I just have huge respect for that. Yeah, uh, the, like, I, like you said, there's there's almost no name I've ever heard before, which is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, ready to move on? Yes. Okay, so we'll go to chapter 17. This one is called A Bloody Sunset. And we're going back to Kaladin's perspective. Uh, yeah. So this, this is where Kaladin decides, right, that he is going to try to also kind of win over people by paying the apothecary, right, to get some kind of surgical supplies to help. Yeah, his just men. so he can take care of them if he needs to. Yeah. Um. Because they. They didn't bring back any wounded yet, right? That's that's coming up in this chapter. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Okay. I think that's this chapter right here. Um, yeah, it is. And so what... Oh, yeah, they go on a bridge run on this one. Um, and Kaladin is like, God damn it, I've just spent all day freaking training. <laughs> and now I have to go on a bridge yeah, run. Yeah, he's exhausted, but... Yeah, they go, they go on a sweet bridge run. Yeah. And is this where Kaladin, he, instead of like, because they always run the bridges and then like everybody collapses on the ground and then they get back up and run them. And Kaladin stands up and like 
in, in like a stance and like kind of I guess is like greets the soldiers as they go across. He's, so he stands at parade rest. Parade rest. Okay. While yeah, while the rest of the guys are all sitting down, and the soldiers talk shit to Kaladin while he's doing yeah. that. Um, and I think this is the chapter yeah where one of the spearmen says something to Kaladin. It's like some smart ass comment, and. Kaladin's like, how do you treat your spear, soldier? And the guy kind of like his eyes get all wide because obviously that's something that, you know, only soldiers talk about, not bridgemen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kaladin says something about, you know, this, your spear is your weapon. This bridge is mine. You know, treat it with respect. And you think it's going to be like this life-changing moment. And they're like, or you'll do what? <laughs> yeah. <Fucking> bridgeman. <laughs> like, <laughs> He gets all the freaking wind taken out of his sails like immediately. I I do like this next bit though. So as they approach the final assault, Kaladin kind of comes to the realization that like uh, I'm a leader, I should be running at the front, and so he changes position. That they call it the death position because it's like in the middle of the front. It's he changes the, one, the. It's the one. It's the spot he ran in the first time. Too, yeah, right? it is. Yeah. Um. He changes and, position with rock. Yeah, and normally the bridge leader would run in this position all the way to the assault and then would switch to the back. Yeah, that's for the part of the one. Yeah, that's part of the privilege of being a bridge leader. Um, but Kaladin decides to take Rock's position and in that horrible spot. Um, and on this assault, though, Kaladin's basically like, yeah, I'm probably going to die. But while they're assaulting, you know, there's just arrows coming at him like crazy from the Parshendi, and they're hitting all around Kaladin. It even kills the other four men in the yeah, front it, with him. it kills the other four people in front, which is yeah. crazy. And then um, they place the bridge down on the final assault, and the army goes over it, and then Kaladin starts realizing there's, like, wounded men from his, from Bridge 4 all over the place, too. So he decides that he's going to try to save these men and gaz is like you can't do that you have to leave them here and he's like why they're they are people we can't just leave them out here to die and so he tells the other members of bridge four to round up as many of the wounded as they can from bridge four right he doesn't take men from other bridges not yet yeah so they round up i think it's three guys yeah and they strap them to the top of their bridge while they carry them back. Um, and then they obviously take them off when the army crosses. But this is like a huge deal. It's like not cool what Kaladin's doing right now. Yeah, because if they can't walk, they're meant to just be left. Right, because wounded men also still have to eat in camp. Yeah. And that's, you know, Sadius doesn't want to be supplying wounded men who can't carry a bridge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty pretty fucked up, but honorable what Kaladin's trying to do. Right. <clears throat> Has uh, anything else happened in this chapter? I, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much what this chapter was about, is the, the idea that he's going to start bringing the men back, the wounded. Uh, ready to move on to the next one? Yes, sir. Okay. So chapter 18 is called High Prince of War. Oh, this is the one where... Gavilar, or excuse me, Dalinar tries to convince Elokar, right, to make him the High Prince of War? I think so. Yeah, and then Elokar is a 
douchebag and doesn't and then ends up doing something worse <laughs> yeah okay yeah he is kind of an idiot um so let's see adolin is still kind of going around right talking to guys about the um this is from i i should mention this is from adolin and dalinar's perspective again yeah i feel like a lot of the chapters are both of them yeah <clears throat> um and Adolin is still going around getting the saddle girth inspected, right? And he also is, like, courting this girl at the same time. Like, oh, he's courting tons of girls. Yeah, all the time. And this girl's getting pissed because all they're doing is going around and talking to these leather workers. And he's not really paying attention to her because he <laughs> has a lot of shit on his mind. Um, and one of the leather workers, or a few of them, confirm that it does look like the girth could have been, you know partially sliced to give it a weak point and then broke the rest of the way uh, right but it, they 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 also said that could have happened if the saddle was just stored incorrectly though mm -hmm. so they it's said, not like conclusive if it was tampered with or not right yeah because they kind of mentioned that if somebody stores it incorrectly and they they kink those girths when they set it down it could create a weak spot in the leather mm -hmm. and it would um, rip the same way right um let's see what do they do do they oh that's right i forgot the um so they sound the horns that a chasm fiend has been spotted close to the war camps and adolin thinks that maybe dalinar will go attempt to reach this one you know because dalinar is not really interested in collecting gem hearts so he doesn't even really jump at the chance to try. No. And Adolin is annoyed by this. Yeah, because Adolin wants to go fight, obviously. But he he's not really... He doesn't really understand, like, why his dad is behaving the way he is. And I don't... Does it get brought up, the, the codes that I'm they sure, have to follow? I'm sure it's been mentioned before, but go ahead and kind of reiterate them. Well, so they Galinar follows these these old codes from the Way of Kings. So, like his officers have to be since they're at war, they they can't be dueling, they can't be drunkenly like in drunken in public. They have to always be in uniform. And what's there's like one more. Uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but yeah, you you got it. You're spot on. That's. They pretty much have to follow these things at all times, like in Dalinar's camp. Um, so, like, in Dalinar's camp, most of his men are always walking around in their uniforms. They are ready to go at all times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and their uniforms are neat. And, like, all the other high princes don't follow these rules, so, like, their, their camps are very chaotic, and, like, people are wearing just fucking whatever they want. And the only reason I mainly mention this is because Aelin is always bitching about not being able to wear whatever he wants. Yeah, Adolin is always, if he's not wearing shard plate, usually if he's walking around, he's in a military uniform still that's, mm -hmm. that's very clean looking. Um, yeah, and Dalinar follows this stuff because Gavilar, leading up to his death, was getting really into this way of kings and trying to put those principles to work in their kingdom. Yeah. <clears throat> um... Let's see what else happens. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, Dalinar 
decides that if he is able to capture another shard plate or blade, right, that he will give it to Renarin. Yeah, he has, like, a discussion with him about that. Yeah, and he thinks that if he wears plate, because Renarin's like, I can't fight even in shard plate, and he's like, no, trust me. Like, the shard plate will protect you and help you be stronger. Yeah, it it won't matter if you are weak in shard plate. Um... And I know there's a little bit, too, of Dalinar talking to, like, his scribes and stuff about, like, how many officers he has, like, patrolling the outskirts for bandits and stuff like that. And then he decides to, like, send more out patrolling anyway to kind of protect everybody. Yeah, because he doesn't think that everybody else is taking this as seriously as he is. Yeah. And he's right. Like I He mean, is right. So, and I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but they've been at war now. Like, Gavilar was killed six years prior to where we are right now. So, they've been doing this same thing for six years. Yeah, they've been out here for a long time. Yeah, and Dalinar thinks that they are, everybody is starting to slack because it's basically just part of the routine now. Um. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Adolin goes and talks to one of the Ardents about Dalinar's visions to see if he oh can kind of, yes if he can kind of gain any insight about that because Dalinar doesn't want to discuss it at all with anyone well yeah and he doesn't really understand what's happening right and um, I, I can't remember if Adolin mentions it he's like he's like at one moment I think he's losing his mind and then he like does something amazing where he saved the king and it's like how can a man like that be crazy mm-hmm Um. Let's see what else. Talks to Elokar a little bit about. See, and this is where this is where Dalinar. What I was talking about. He really voices his opinion to Elokar that he thinks this whole war, quote unquote, has just devolved into them simply going and winning gem hearts. Yeah, and, and they're and, not really doing anything else or right, making progress. They're not actually attempting to defeat the Parshendi. And most of the time what happens to, I don't know if we've really kind of talked about this, when they do a plateau assault. So the Parshendi, they don't need bridges or anything because of the way they are structured. They can actually jump the chasms just on their mm-hmm. feet. Um, I actually picture them, now correct me if I'm wrong or if you think that it's different, what we learn later, right, is that the between the Parshman and the Parshendi, right, they have different evolutions, essentially. Yeah. So this is getting way ahead, but the the Parshendi they are fighting are in war form, right? Mm-hmm. I picture them as actually having backwards knees. Does that make sense? Oh, like some fawn legs? Yes. And that's what I picture them being able to jump. Because it says they're much taller oh, okay. than standard Parshman. Now, I don't necessarily know that that's correct, but for some reason, that's what I envision is why they're able to, like, run and then jump the chasms because they have, like, these... They have... Okay. Fawn legs is the perfect way to put it. That's what I picture. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's true, <laughs> but that's just what I imagine. I... I don't know if I want to imagine that because it makes it way more unsettling <laughs> to me. Right. <laughs> like, oh, they're creepy, like goat legs. And I, I don't necessarily think that's true because they mostly look like humans. Um, yeah, they. I feel like the only... Well, and in the war form, they have, like, carapace on them. Yes, and we'll find out more about that in a little while. Um, but yeah, I just... So and what, what I was leading up to with that is that 
Dalinar doesn't think they're making enough progress because usually during a typical plateau assault, once the um, people, like Sadius's army, cross and they start fighting with the Parshendi, essentially the Parshendi just turn and they run off the, pla off the plateau. They don't necessarily stay and fight to the last man. They essentially just leave and they suffer very few casualties because of the way they do that. So that that and they can reposition insanely fast too to like surround people and like cut them off from their bridge escapes. Right. Um but the so the Parshendi though, during each assault, don't really lose very many people. No, they so don't. So Dalinar is like, we are not killing them fast enough. Like we are never going to finish this if we don't do something more drastic to cut their numbers down. Yeah. Um, this is when Dalinar asks Elokar to give him the title of High Prince of War, which would basically allow Dalinar to force the other High Princes to work together in order to accomplish what he wants to see happen. And... Yeah. I, it really shows kind of Elokar's how he does things, which I can't necessarily blame him. But he immediately goes and asks Sadius if he thinks that's a good idea. And Dalinar's like, no, you idiot. Like, of course Sadius is not going to say it's a good idea. Yeah. Because <laughs> it would give Dalinar uh, authority over Sadius. Um, that, that happens later, but I just think it's annoying that that's the first thing Elokar does, is run to Sadius and ask him if it's okay. Uh, I do like this next bit where he he goes and meets up with Renarin, and Renarin kind of talks to him a little bit. Kind of puts his mind at ease a little bit about like that he's not losing his mind. And then like as this conversation is coming, a high storm is coming, and so they have to like... They have to take shelter in in a different in like one of their own barracks. So like the men are gonna see uh, Dalinar go through one of these visions. Yeah, because that right because they were in somebody else's war camp and they make it back to their war camp. But yeah, they yeah. don't make it all the way to like Dalinar's tent before. Yeah, his so they just have to seek yeah. shelter. Yeah, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, which leads us right into chapter nineteen. You ready to move on? I am. This is okay. a good one. Yeah, so chapter 19 is called Starfalls, and this is from Dalinar's perspective, and it's actually from the vision he witnesses during this high storm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, so this is very interesting. When he awakens in these visions, he essentially settles into someone from the past, right? Yeah, yeah he like, as, puts on their skin. Yeah, he sees through their eyes and everything, and he, but he is in control, and yeah, he can control it for yeah. It's it's interesting in that way because essentially what happens is he wakes up in this this house right, and it's uh, or oh, it's like a barn. Sorry, um, and there's like a small girl with him, and this little girl is like terrified that there's something in the dark, but Dalinar has he doesn't have any of like whoever's body he is in he doesn't know he he knows what he shows up in that's yeah it. um and now he is that person and he realizes that this uh little girl is this person's daughter 
whose body he's inhabiting. And this, like, strange creature bursts into this freaking barn and attacks them. And, um... Which I love the way these creatures are described. They're like, they're like dark, inky blackness that's like amorphous and like shape changes. And sure. like, I almost imagine them like flickering with the light. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see what you're going with there. Yeah. I, 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 I just think it's a super cool idea. And we haven't seen anything else like this in this right. universe yet. Um, Dalinar is able to get this little girl and they run right to the house. Mm-hmm. And this is where it really sinks in, right? Because he gets into the house and he, he, he like, grabs a, a poker from the hearth because it's the only, like, weapon he can find to try and defend himself. And he actually ends up killing one of these creatures. Yeah, he does. Um, and he notices that when he kills this thing, instead of, like, blood leaking out, it actually smoke rises from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that he, there's a woman in the house, and I like that he's like, something, something, do this woman. And she's like, woman, you've never called me woman. Yeah. But he, he doesn't know who she is. So he, she's like, uh, you know, you can call me by my name, Taffa, which is a good thing she said that, because otherwise he wouldn't have a clue what her name is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that he's like, we need to escape. Uh, where's the closest water? He thinks that they can lose them in the water or something like that. And uh, she's like, uh, the river. And he's like, which way is it? And she's like, how long have we lived here? And he's like, I hit my yeah. head, woman. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not thinking straight. I like that, too. I like how he talks his way out of it. But it, it's just interesting, yeah, because he just fell right into the middle of this other person's life and is now controlling their body. So it's very interesting. Um, but they they like try to escape but before they escape they get surrounded by more of these creatures and then one of my favorite bits of the first book happens where is this like a meteor like, yeah yeah like ahead. well i just like the imagery of like a meteor just strikes into the ground and it's like an emitting blue light and then out of the meteor walks a man in shard plate and he has a shard blade yeah and i i don't know if it's mentioned right now but and then another lady shows up and they proceed with Valin- with Galen- with Dalinar, sorry, to w- kill these whatever these things are. They like fight them back. They get like in a cool back to back scene, and they they proceed to dispatch quite all of them. And I, I don't know if it's mentioned, but he Dalinar believes that these are the knights radiant. Yeah, yeah, because he yeah he knows thinking from where he's at in current time that he thinks these are the knights radiant. Mm-hmm. Um, the male uh, knight leaves, right? And the female says, she's like, if you, you know, if you're half as good with a, a blade as you are with a, what does she say? Like a fire tending tool or something yeah, like that. Like a, yeah. <laughs> um, she's like, you know, you should find your way to your Thiru. Um, and it's possible that you could be trained as a radiant. Well, and he even says it's not my decision, but my order could use you. Right. So she says that you should find your way there, and he also mentions, because he is Dalinar talking through this other guy, that he asks if these are the Voidbringers, and she says no, 
they are known as Midnight Essence. They are not actually Void Bringers. But it's a sign, right, that Void Bringers could be soon to follow. Yeah, that, that a right? desolation is on its way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I like that Taffa, the guy's wife, comes up behind her and starts talking to him, but it's in like a man's voice. Mm-hmm. And he realizes because we've all been there, where your your like dream is melding with like reality back and forth. Like if you fall asleep with the TV on, mm-hmm. and you have this, I, I do that all the time. And then I have these weird like my brain overlays weird stuff onto the screen when I'm half asleep. Um, and he realizes that he's like waking up from the vision. Um, but it's actually this voice that he hears often in these visions and it's who he thinks is the almighty right Mm -hmm. and the voice just simply tells him that he needs to unite them and that's pretty much all the information he gets no this one's also important because he asks the voice he's like should i trust sadius and the voice says yes (laughs) (laughs) unite them and so so he his his main takeaway from this vision is Okay, I am I am right to trust Sadius. Like yeah. I I must I I need to continue to trust him. Right. Um and then he wakes up back on the shattered plains, right? Mm-hmm. Um and there's a bunch of soldiers around him and they've actually been holding him down because he when he goes into these visions, he speaks in strange languages and he starts like, you know, Basically having a seizure and being violent I is what I kind of picture. This, this is yeah, why it's he, kind of a weird Yeah, thing. I think he's like acting them out. Right. Um, yeah, and then he, uh, he, he tells them to leave and that he's fine. And that he basically, uh, him and Renarin head back to their main part of the camp, right? Mm-hmm. And I like how Renarin like tries to explain away what he was doing. He's like, yeah, he's just, like, really hungry for battle, everybody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. I'm just like, that's, I think it's a cute little detail. <laughs> okay, ready to move on to chapter 20? Mm-hmm. Okay, this one's called but, Scarlet. And I believe this is a very short chapter. I think so. Uh, but also a heart-wrenching one. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is another. So this is from Kaladin's perspective again, and this is again. So this is seven years previous from the mm-hmm. current time. Um, because Kaladin is actually performing surgery, or is he helping? Well, he's performing surgery on a girl. He was like walking by and witnessed her getting oh, hurt. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so he like he's I, I think like her arm got chopped off or something something very gruesome and he's like trying to patch up a wound and he's like realizing it's starting to slow down, but then he he oh, understands yeah. that the reason it's slowing down is because she died. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. It's um, dude, it's so gruesome. Yeah, um, especially because like the way it's told, he thinks that he's like he kind of like sits back and he's like, yeah, the blood, you know, the blood's not coming out from under the band aids anymore. I did it, you know, I stopped it, and he looks at her and she's just dead yeah and this obviously obliterates kaladin and i think he immediately goes to his father and is like i don't want to be a surgeon i can't do it i'm terrible but his father actually comforts him and is like you know you stepped in 
at like short notice to help somebody like that that's what a surgeon does yeah. like also she might not have been savable yeah nobody yeah, no else would have tried kaladin like you you at least did what needed to be done and yeah. it wasn't your fault yeah and he essentially tells him that that that's just part of it you can't save them all mm -hmm. um yeah and that's pretty much all that happens right in, yeah it's a super, super short, short chapter but I feel like it kind of shows that Kaladin does, has always had a thing about like people around him dying and yeah. taking it personally. Yeah. Um, it's also mentioned, I think, in this that since Wistio died, Kaladin hasn't hardly been spending any time with Laurel. Like He hasn't yeah. even seen her since her father died. Um, and that's not important yet, but it kind of gets important later. Yeah, on. it does. Um. Yeah, I think yeah, that's pretty yeah, legit. That's good. Okay, we'll move on. Chapter twenty-one: Why men lie, and this is also from Kaladin's perspective, but now back in current time. Um. See, and I like is when there's those in-between kind of chapters. Is it just strictly telling us those, um, us the listener those, or is that something Kaladin happened to also be thinking about at the time? I mean, it may be a little bit of both. Okay. Because it just, it seems to kind of be important then to the chapter, you know, coming up. Yeah, but then I think there are some that are not. Yeah, I, I, I think most of it is just kind of giving us, the listener, background on Kaladin, really. Right, I, I, I feel like you're you're right, it is, they are kind of similar. But I feel like this, it's, it's more of like, oh, this is what Kaladin did in the past, and this is how he handles the situation now. Sure. Um, let's see. I I actually like the way this one starts. So like after the exhausting bridge run from the day before, Kaladin has like that every, I feel like any person who goes to the gym in the early in the morning uh, and this is like, oh, I don't want to get up, but I have to just because <laughs> other people expect me to. Right. And I, so I, I have to stay strong. And so he actually drags himself out of bed and, like, you know, kind of impresses all the other bridge workers because he gets up. Well, even even though he and, was a little bit hurt, and he, and he does them, his training routine. Yeah, and some of them were actually watching to see if yeah. he would or not. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gives him. He's like, oh, okay, so they are paying attention that mm -hmm. that I am doing something different. <clears throat> and. Uh, uh, Kaladin also goes to check on the wounded that they brought back from the bridge run from the previous day. Um, and he thinks there's two of them that can for sure recover, but one of them will die if he is not able to get a hold of like some antiseptic or something from the apothecary to treat his wounds. Yeah, to chase away the rot spread. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, it would be a lot easier in life if there were things that you could visually like, see that would like tell a you. Visual, like a visual manifestation of cancer? That would be so <laughs> yeah. much scarier, though, dude. It would be scary, but at the same time, at least you, like, you would know for sure. Like, Yeah, that's true. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would be a double-edged sword for sure. Um, he, uh... Kaladin talks to Syl about um, Syl has been listening to the other men, right? And the uh, mm -hmm. other the other guys think that Kaladin has pretty much lost his mind. Not yeah, only he's gone crazy. Yeah, not only with the training that he's doing, but also the fact that he thinks he can save the wounded. And Kaladin's idea too, bringing these men back. Now he's like, 
I have three more people I have to feed. Because yeah. Gaz tells him they're, they're not going to get any food. And he said that comes straight from High Lord Sadius, that you brought them back, we're not feeding them. Um, so Kaladin now has to figure out how to feed these men to keep them alive, because even if he treats their wounds, they'll still die of starvation, obviously. Yeah, and and Kaladin's, like, their bridgemen can, can eat quite a bit, but not enough to, like, share. Yeah, so even if he was sharing all of his food with these three men, he said all that would happen is that I would also starve to death yeah. because it won't be enough. Plus, it would leave him too weak to do any of his bridge duties at mm -hmm. all. So basically now Kaladin's working on a plan to get some other guys on his side to help him in this kind of plight that he put himself mm -hmm. in. Um, he either needs other bridge members to share their food you know, he says it's usually enough that if two of them could share a meal and you'd probably be okay. But yeah, you can't share with more than one. Um, yeah, he, he goes to a lot of the people to because he and and the other thing we forgot to mention that all the he's kind of getting upcharged on his medical supplies because he's a fucking bridgeman. So he's having to pay more for medical supplies and he can't afford a lot of the stuff that yeah. he needs on his bridgeman salary. Right. So he's asking the guys, like, will you share food and money for medical supplies? Yep. Like, we and need both. They pretty much all, again, just, like, laugh in his face. Except for Rock. Yeah, and, Rock's a solid dude. Well, beca especially because Rock said, you know, I would probably be dead if you hadn't taken my place yesterday. Mm -hmm. Because they, I don't know if they'd necessarily talk about it, but, like, everybody around Kaladin died. And the the porthole thing I envisioned that Kaladin was like able to see through was just riddled with arrows. Yeah. And Kaladin still survived. So Rock is like, I would for sure have died if I was in that. Well, position. and Rock can see Sill. That's also correct. Yeah. And I don't remember what he calls her because he has a very like. At least, I don't necessarily know if it's supposed to sound this way, but the way that uh, Michael Kramer voices it, he's, it's very, like, uh, Islander, like, Hawaiian, yeah. you know, like a native Hawaiian language, kind mm -hmm. of, that he speaks. And whether it's meant to be voiced that way or not, it fits very well. It does um, fit well. <laughs> the way that he taught. And Rock is voiced amazingly, also. Yeah, I like Rock a lot. <laughs> um. And Rock agrees to share his food, but only with one of the guys because he thinks that only one of them can survive because he's yeah. the least wounded. Um, and and Kaladin also thinks that's weird that Rock can see Syl, even though Syl is able to choose who sees her, and she mm -hmm. has not, you know, she has not let Rock see her, so it is kind of strange. And then um, I I believe Kaladin has like the revelation that it, and this is just something we forgot to mention in the last episode when he was talking to the apothecary he mentions that knobweed is is something that grows and you like normal people could harvest it if they knew what they were doing right and so kaladin has like the genius idea he's like oh if i can get my men to do rock gathering duty i've seen the knobweed on some of these rocks so if we if i could get my men to do that we i could gather these on the sly and get my own antiseptic yeah, and he has to be super sneaky about it because they basically even say, 
you know, even if they were to come back to camp with these knobweeds, which, you know, look kind of just like stalks of, you know, maybe, uh, what, like snake grass is what I envision. Yeah. Um, or like bamboo. They, I almost picture bamboo. Yeah, it could be bamboo, yeah. Um, something similar to that, like these long straight stalks that they then squeeze the, um, they squeeze the juice out of, basically. Um, he says even if we came back to camp with these, even though they look innocuous enough, uh, they wouldn't let us have them simply to spite us because we want them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just the fact that they wanted them would be enough. Yeah, and do they start gathering the stuff in this chapter? Or is it no, I, I, I think he just he all that happens at the end of this one is that he convinces Tef to help them too, and Gaz assigns them uh, stone gathering duty, and that's it. Yeah, and Gaz, <laughs> Gaz is also constantly like thinking Kaladin's planning something. Yeah. Because he's like, why do you want stone-gathering duty? Nobody wants stone-gathering duty. So even Gaz is like, what are you up to? And Gaz was like, fine, but I'm not taking the fall for this one, you know. And Kaladin's like, that's fine. I will tell the men that this was my fault, you know. I I want us to do this. Um, Actually, no, I, I take that back. I think they do gather the knobweed over this. I, I feel like they do. Um, and the the way they end up doing, I like the the description of how they end up doing it because it's only rock and teft and since rock is able to see sill sill goes around and shows rock where the knobweed is and then kaladin is manning the wagon and every time rock brings back a stone to put in the wagon he turns around and he has the knobweed in his back pocket and kaladin mm -hmm. grabs it kaladin ties it up under the wagon that they're using and then he marks the wagon with an X, so they'll know when it gets back to camp which one they need to take the weeds off of. Yeah, it's actually very smart. Yeah, it's actually a pretty, pretty clever. Um, anything else? Nope. That's a pretty good chapter, though. Yeah. Again, not like a super high intensity one or anything, but very much so like a good story building one. Mm-hmm. Okay, chapter 22 is called Eyes, Hands, or Spheres. And this one goes back to Dalinar. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, this, this is, is where they're having the feast. Yeah, this is where they're at the feast, which is also a very interesting at explaining kind of the way the hierarchy works yeah. in this civilization is that, like, right? Because there's, like, the king's island, the men's island, and the women's island or something like that. Like, yeah, they are very, like, gendered like that. Yeah, it's very segregated um, in those ways. Um, and if I remember right, uh, basically what happens here too, right, is that Navani shows up, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's 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 a couple other things that happen before that, but yeah, this is where she's kind of introduced, and she was Gavilar's like queen so she was like the the queen of the realm before he died right she's and she's uh elokar's mother yes yeah it was a way, way better way to put it well, well no you're right i mean that's she is uh gavilar's widow so but i i love that uh dalinar knows she wants to talk to him so he's like eating really slowly yeah. So she, because it's it's like improper to join a man, like a, for a woman to eat with a man, like to join him while he's eating. So he's like eating uh, yeah. really slowly, 
and then and then he's like getting lost in thought and then he doesn't realize he's done eating <laughs> and then she's like appears at his side i love that yeah it's also establishes her really well as a character um in the sense that it's also since he is sitting at the men's island it's improper for her to sit with him yeah so she has a servant bring her a stool and just sits next to his table yeah and doesn't sit at his table so it's very it also very clearly shows that she doesn't really give a shit about like the way the alethi do things necessarily. well i believe she's not alethi right she's from a different place i can't remember where she's from is that what it is is she not isn't that where alucard gets like his blonde hair or something oh could be yeah Maybe maybe I'm thinking of something wrong, but I just assumed that she is basically like, yeah, this is stupid. I, she she, she is. This. She kind of goes against the grain a little bit, even though you know her station, she should be following it to a T, but she doesn't mm-hmm. really care. What? But while they're like sitting down and kind of talking about like some stuff, Elikar makes an announcement that he is appointing Sadius to be the High Prince of Information. So he's basically like. The, the cop of everybody now and he is in charge of investigations so he will be looking <laughs> into the broken saddle girth from now on yeah Sadius is now like the FBI yeah he really is <laughs> yeah it, it it really hits Dalinar hard because when Dalinar asked to be the high prince of war that would have kind of gave him control over all of the high princes Mm-hmm. But even this move, allowing Sadius to be the High Prince of Information, gives Sadius so much more leverage now than he had before. Yeah, a, a lot of leverage, especially because it's it's kind of alluded to a little bit that they suspect Dalinar in the Broken Saddle Girth because his grooms cared for the king's horse. Yeah, because it was Dalinar's men who set up the horse before that uh, hunt. Yeah, so um, they're they're a little suspicious of him just because of that fact. And yeah. the fact that they they took off together without everyone before the hunt. Yeah, that's right. They bring that up that, you know, mm-hmm. well, you know, we saw you and and uh Elucar leave together out way out ahead of everybody yeah, else. Only by our yeah, only with the two yeah. of you. That's right. Yeah. And Sadius just, you know, yucks it up and plays it. He's like, oh, yes, I am. I will do such a good job as High high Prince of Information. Don't worry. I will be looking into this matter quite post haste. Yeah. Such a douche. I love the way they like describe Sadius as having like a moon face. So he's like very round. Yeah. I imagine, too, he has like a close cropped, like super horrible little. well, now that I think about it, I was going to say a goatee, but now that I think about it, it would make him even douchier if it was just a really shitty mustache. Oh, like one of them really thin ones? Yeah, really thin, and it's like really short, cropped, like, I don't know. I hate that. I, I, I don't understand <laughs> anyone who wears just a mustache, because it's like, what? There's no purpose for it. Like, at least when you have a full beard, it Well, Ryan, some of us can only grow mustaches. <laughs> this podcast is over. I'm done. Just throw your Storm head away from the table. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my fault. I can't grow facial hair. You son of a bitch. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's not what this was about at all. <laughs> um, that's just what I pictured though. He just got this really yeah, like, like a very thin, like a cop mustache. mustache. Like, yeah, because that's all they can grow. They can, they're not supposed to grow full facial hair, so they just grow a mustache for some reason. 
trust me, I spent plenty of time in the military to wonder the same thing. Like, I see all these guys with these really weird little mustaches, and I'm like, why even bother? It doesn't <laughs> do anything. <laughs> Strain anyway. soup, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All it does is catch the creamer from your coffee. What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> catch the creamer. That's funny. <laughs> Um, um anything else about that chapter no other than um dalinar it's just it's also really to me what i noticed is like dalinar really takes this very personally because he's like he's elokar's uncle yeah, so right. he thought you know he thought elokar would help him out in in this well that uh, that end um i'm sorry to cut you off but that that's that's Part of the reason he didn't want to make him High Prince of War is that he said it's not fair to put you above the other High Princes. Yeah, and then he turns around and does it. Exactly! <laughs> so yeah. he does it to Sadius, so he's like, what the fuck? Yeah, and basically why Sadius being High Prince of Information is a bad thing is because now Sadius has full access to all the other High Princes' uh, war camps. Like, and they can't tell him to get out, they can't tell him any of that stuff because of this position. It gives him... So now, if Dalinar were making any plans for anything, Sadius can essentially tease that information out of either his men or by snooping around in his camp and any of that stuff. So, it's kind of a big deal. It, it's a huge deal. Yeah, and it's kind of a slap in the face, too. Yeah. I believe right before Navani showed up, we get a nice little part about... It might maybe it wasn't before Navani showed up. No, because he talks to Navani when Wit is there. Oh and yeah, yeah. How is, he's like he's sitting on a stool as the bridge, or where like everybody has to enter, so everybody has to walk past him. Yeah, and he gets to insult the shit out of everybody. <laughs> I and, love what is the one guy? He's like, right, Lord, whatever. You remind me of somebody I love, and he's like, oh really? And he's like, yes, my horse. I love <laughs> yeah. that line. <laughs> Is this when he punks Sadius right in front of everyone, too? Is it this part? Or was it the last part and we didn't mention it? It, it might have been the last part. I just love that he, he punks Sadius because he's like, he's like, oh, something, something, you know, hi, Lord, hi, Prince Sadius. Can you not ever speak and say something? What does he say? Interesting? And Sadius kind of like, huh, well, that ought to be easy. And Wit immediately is like, oh, see, and you failed again. And then he's like, ah, Lord, you know, hi, Lord Renarin. Could you speak and say something interesting? And Renarin kind of looks at him. He's like, something interesting. And and Wit loves it. He's like, oh, yeah. perhaps if Sadius kills me, you can become the king's wit. Yeah, <laughs> he does say something like that. Yeah. It's just funny. Yeah. yeah. Hung, they do talk him. about, they do talk about <clears throat> that it's not illegal to kill the king's wit, but it's like super, like, like super, super frowned upon. Like, you shouldn't do that. And if somebody witnesses you doing it they can technically strip you of your land because yeah they can strip you of your land yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay ready to move on yes i am all right chapter 23 many uses we go back to kaladin's perspective here oh okay yeah we 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 messed up but that's okay because th this chapter starts off with them on rock duty finding the rocks oh okay that's right so yeah, so, the stuff so we already explained this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> is uh, how they, you know, how they're getting these um, the knobweed. This is explained in the beginning of this chapter. But uh, one thing we forgot to mention is there was a little bit of small talk between the bridge crew 
and they're kind of like getting along and like laughing a little bit between each other, which I, I feel like is an important step because they used to not talk to each other at all. Yeah, usually they don't say anything to each mm-hmm. other, period, because most of them, they won't know each other long enough to even bother, right? Like, mm-hmm. getting any information. So, um, uh, that's right, Rock, Teft, and Kaladin retrieve the knobweed, right, later on. Yeah, that, they, like, like, sneak the, out to the wagon. That night, right? They mm-hmm. go, They go and get it. Um... And then they go out and they kind of, they get these empty bottles and they have to kind of squeeze the sap out of these things into the bottles. And then they, they go sit next to the honor chasm so they can throw the, the, you know, milk or the knobweed in there after they. After yeah. After they get the delicious, delicious sap. Yeah. Which each, each strand produces about one to two drops of mm-hmm. sap. So, but they have a ton of, they actually got a lot of milkweed. Or, yeah. knobweed, sorry, I keep calling him milkweed for some reason. Um, Te- uh, Kaladin also tries, since Teft is there, he kind of tries to strike up conversation with him. You know, ask yeah. him why he's there, you know, how, what's going on. Because he wants to kind of learn these guys' backstories, because none of them will share their backstories, because again, they don't know each other long enough for it to matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is one of my favorite parts of the book, actually, where we get like Rock's backstory. Yeah, because don't we <laughs> I will see... tell this thing. Yeah, yeah, Rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we find out why Rock is a bridgeman, essentially, right? Because which is fucking hilarious, honestly. Yeah. So Rock came here from his land, um, which is escaping me right now. The name the Horn Eater Peaks. The Horn Eater Peaks. Thank you. He came here uh, because he came with, like, what, his cousin to... Yeah, his Numatoma. Right, which is their kind of tribal leader, right? It's essentially their his bright lord. Okay, yeah. Um, because the Horn Eaters have no shard bearers, right? Mm-hmm. So occasionally, one of them will get the idea that they're going to go challenge a shard bearer to try to win shards and be the first one ever to win shards for their people. Uh, so his cousin comes down to try to do that and is killed, right? Yeah, his, and, his cousin challenges Sadius specifically. Yeah, Sadius specifically. And when he is killed, they find out that Rock is a cook for his people, which we find mm-hmm. out later why he is specifically good at cooking. Um, but he is assigned to be a cook for Sadius, right, in his camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he put freaking Choldung in Sadius's food. Yeah, in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, he says all the, like he put it in the spices and he put it in the gravy and it's just yeah. funny the way he talks about it. Um, I was honestly shocked too that they didn't just have him killed. It's a, to me, I know. Like, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny too. Um, but yeah, that's how he he became a bridgeman. Is how Rock got there. Um, and then Teft. Teft tries to turn it around on Kaladin and ask him why he is there. And it says that it's because he killed a man. And I I think this is the part where Kaladin says it, but I love that he says it's not because of the man I killed, it's because of the man I didn't kill. Yeah. Or something like that. It's it's pretty deep, and when you find out later as to what he's talking about, it really kind of hits home. 
like hits hard i mean oh yeah like what happened um, to Kalida is so messed up yeah for sure um yeah we uh this is also leading up to why <clears throat> why Kaladin doesn't trust any light eyes. Like no matter mm-hmm. what they say or what they do, he doesn't trust any of them. Um because he thought that God damn, why can I not ever remember his name? The other freaking high lord he Amaram? Yes, Amaram, thank you. I can't ever remember his name. That's okay, I can't even get the guy who writes the book's <laughs> name right. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Good point. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he he thought that like Amaram was one of the best uh, yeah. light eyes that there could be, and we find out much later on why that is not not true at all. Oh yeah, where he's like one of the biggest pieces of shit. Yeah. <clears throat> uh. Yeah. Anything else on that one? No. I I like that chapter though. It is very. It's it's like I I like a lot of the relationships that get built in Bridge Four and like I feel like this is a big turning point right here. Yeah, and I feel like it's <clears throat> it's written very well because obviously Teft could have also just like poured his heart out to Kaladin right here, but he doesn't. He's like, no, I you know, just because I'm doing this thing with you doesn't mean I'm your friend. It's basically yeah. what he tells him. So I like that it takes him a while to actually open up to. Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to chapter 24, The Gallery of Maps. And we are back to Dalinar in this one. And he is actually... So he's with High Prince Royon in the King's Gallery of Maps, right? Yeah, and this is the part you were talking about where he's like looking at the map with like all the gem hearts they've all won. Yeah, yeah, okay. And this is also part of his kind of ploy to get another High Prince to work with him. Mm-hmm. And High Prince Royon has the fewest gem hearts out of all of the other High Princes. Yeah. So, yeah. Dalinar assumes that since High Prince Royon is at the bottom of the barrel, he would be the most willing to work with another High Prince because this would obviously benefit him as well. Yeah, and he, he sets it up as that they will split the gem hearts evenly, so like they'll, they'll distribute the wealth evenly, but any shard plate or or shard or uh, shard blades. I don't know why I couldn't think of the name. <laughs> it's all good. Jesus. <laughs> like he'll he'll keep them for him. Like anybody who wins them gets to keep them, which is obviously going to be Dalinar because he actually has shards and this guy doesn't. Right. Um, but at this point too, Dalinar says that uh, Roeon can keep the gem heart. But if Shardblades are won or are there, Dalinar wants them because he's trying yeah, to Yeah, he wants the first Renan. set. Yeah. He wants the first set and then you can have the others. Right. But the guy's still like, mm, no. Yeah, Royon's like, nah, I'll just do it myself, even though Yeah, he's like, he, you're gay. Yeah, he clearly can't do anything for himself. Uh he also though, um, Royon kind of insults him and he's like, I think these, you know, you're your lapses during the high storm are affecting your sanity if you think that I will agree to this. Yeah, which is a low blow. It is, but he also, by the end, says he'll think about it. But we've, yeah. also, we've heard that before from, like, Elokar. Like, yeah, which basically means no. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I think we switch over to Aelin's perspective. Yeah, and if I remember this right, this is kind of a gut punch, isn't it? 
Um. Yeah. So oh, they. Oh, is this when Dalinar and uh, Adolin kind of get in a little bit of a fight? Yeah. So Dalinar talks to Adolin and he wonders what Gavilar's like last words really meant because he he said like find the most important words a man can say. So he wanted him to read the way of kings. And Adolin is like kind of questioning him is like, why do we follow these codes? Nobody else does. Nobody else is taking us fucking very seriously. And they also talk about that Sadius is asking for permission to enter their war camp to investigate like the king's thing. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Adolin uh... is worried that they're going to create like false evidence to just throw them in jail anyway, even though they didn't do anything. Yeah. Adolin doesn't trust Sadius at all. I mean, and for good reason. Um, so yeah, he thinks that Sadius is just going to come in there and fake evidence in order to incriminate Dalinar as if he tried to assassinate the king. Yeah. And and he also, spe Dalinar specifically brings up the visions that they told him it was okay to trust Sadius. And at this, Adolin becomes like fucking enraged and like yells at Dalinar and tells him like not to stake the future of the, of the Colin house on visions and that maybe he should step down because he's clearly losing his mind. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's pretty brutal. Yeah, especially for, like, a son to be saying to yeah. his father, yeah. Even, like, the part where he's like, Father, you are not well. Right. It's is so brutal. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> uh, anything else on that one, though? No, I, th I, I, I so. mean, this is a pretty important chapter, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think I'm good move on to chapter 25 the butcher so this is kaladin again seven years prior and i believe is this where the townspeople no this is not where the townspeople uh uh they come for the money from Lyran. no right this one starts off with Kaladin overhears some people talking about how like Liren is his work is unnatural and weird, and they're they talk a little bit about how Liren got a hold of the spheres and how he was the only one around, and it's weird that the document was written in glyphs, not words. Which like it's most pretty people can't read. Right? Yeah, most people can't read glyphs either or words. Yeah, but it's it's just strange that like the the circumstances that he got the the spheres from Wistio is, is kind of strange. Oh, that's right, because they think they that because he was the last one spending so much time with him that he basically kind of talked him into it, right? Mm -hmm. Or, like, changed his mind and talked him into giving him all the money? Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, and we I think we've mentioned it before, but Lyrian is kind of weird because he is a man who reads and writes and yeah. does all of these things for himself. He doesn't expect his wife to do all of these things for him. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that's right. This is when Rashon shows up, huh? The, the new Bright Lord of their city. Uh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Bright Lord Rashon, who's a total douchebag. Yeah. He, um, he shows up and like everybody kind of like lines up to see him, and he like gets out of the, the freaking... The carriage and he's like oh what a shithole just gets back in yeah he gets right back into it um <laughs> and then Liren right tries to kind of talk to him though in front of yeah, everyone right? and he like offers to show him around yeah because Liren 
is sort of uh, un what is he he's like unofficially kind of in charge right now while there's yeah. no bright lord there because he is the most well versed person in their whole town essentially um, and then Rashon like shouts back he blames him for Wistio's death since he was like there when he died and yeah, couldn't do anything right. and he's yeah. like you're the reason I'm stuck here yeah and he says that in front of the whole town yeah so yeah it's pretty messed up <laughs> uh, I, I think that's I, it though isn't it yeah there is a little motif in this too of like playing a card game and his parents talk about like I can't remember if it's like the tower or the butcher like mm, they, mm-hmm. they talk about different hands in this card game and that's right. like one is an automatic loss one is an automatic win and then one is uncertain and the uncertain one is the butcher that's right yeah I forgot why it was called that. And that's I think it plays into the fact of Rashon, right, coming mm-hmm. in and they have no idea if he's going to be a good bright lord or not. Yeah. Pretty good chapter. Uh, uh, yeah, short but has some good points, right? Mhm. So, let's go to chapter 26. This one is called Stillness and we are back in Dalinar's perspective. Um that's right. Uh, Dalinar has been having his one of his scribes read him the Way of Kings like a lot, right? Yeah. Because he's still trying to find meaning in what Gavilar wrote in his blood, basically, to have him do. Um, but he's having a hard time focusing because of the things that Adolin said, too. Because now he actually is questioning himself. Maybe he is losing his mind, and maybe what he is doing is actually hurting them instead of helping them yeah yeah and he yeah and he's starting to think like maybe i am crazy yeah and exactly. may i i don't remember if it's mentioned here yet but like he's really starting to think he should step down yeah when he's talking about p- potentially giving all of his responsibilities to adolin yeah um and that actually that actually came up at the dinner conversation it right did, before yeah. Navani, uh, right before Navani sits down with him, that's the things he was contemplating in his head, is if he should step down or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they, oh yeah, then the horn blows right, basically for a plateau assault, because yeah. Chasm Fiend was spotted near their war camp. Well, near like their controlled territory, right? Right. Of like yeah, of like where the they already have zone. bridges. Yeah. yeah. Um. And Dalinar actually decides to contest this one, right? To actually yeah, he, go for it. Mostly for like the Morena the Mal, the Morena the Mal, morale <laughs> of the men. Is that especially Adian? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Man, I'm losing my mind. It's I don't okay. know what the fuck that was. Uh, it's only because we started podcasting so early in the morning this morning. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know what's, what that was. But it, it's mostly just to like boost his men because they haven't gone out in a while. And especially Adolin because he. I guess he feels bad for Adolin, like kind of not letting him do what he's really good at, because yeah. Adolin is like an accomplished warrior, right? Um, and Dalinar agrees, right, to use um, they use Bridgman, the, but not for the final assault. Not for the final assault because he doesn't want to uselessly have them killed, right? Mm-hmm. So, um. They're going... No, no, no. 
they want to design one to use, right? Oh, yeah, he, that's right. I forgot. He wants to try to design a bridge more like Sadius's, but the problem they have, and I don't know if it comes up now, the problem they're going to have is that those bridges, to be light enough to be carried by men, are not sturdy enough to then support the siege bridges crossing over them. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. And I think, but I think that comes up a little bit later. But this is where he agrees to let them try. To yeah, to let them to, to try to design one, but they have to use the slow bridges on this one. Yeah. Um. But as they're leaving to go to this chasm assault or to this plateau assault, uh, Sadius shows up because he wants to now uh, do some investigating on uh, the saddle girth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Sadius basically questions a bunch of different guys in... And it's like while they're marching, too. He's yeah. Like, he's like going among the men while they're trying to march, and he's questioning about something, and Dalinar doesn't actually know what he's asking the men. Um, and Sadius just has to get some more jabs in at uh, Dalinar, talking to him that he thinks it's crazy that he believes so strongly in the Way of Kings book and yeah. the Codes of War, right? Well, um, it's it's mentioned a little bit, but this Way of Kings is is almost considered like heresy to read it, it it's not it's not quite that bad but it, it, it's a it's a bit of a taboo book for someone to be reading in these times sure especially and especially to take it as like gospel right right well because it, it's a book associated with the knight's radiant and the knight's radiant abandoned humanity right so yeah, people yeah, don't like point. it yeah um so they arrive for the plateau assault, and this is how we. This is where we get to see how Dalinar's army performs a plateau assault, and what mm -hmm. they actually do is Adolin and Dalinar, being full shard bearers, as the bridges approach the chasm, they run and jump the. They jump the span and just start slaughtering Parshendi. Yeah, and th this is the part when I texted you, I was like, "Man, we're in Sharply. It's like playing Dynasty Warriors." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because they just run and they jump across with their blades in hand and just start murdering people. Yeah. And this is where Dalinar talks about feeling the... Oh, what does he call it? The thrill. The thrill, yes. Thank you. Um, and it kind of scares him because he realizes he still has a lot of bloodlust in him. Well, that and but then he like has a realization that he's like actually killing living things. Yeah. And it like sickens him to like to the point where he almost can't fight anymore because it's so it's like so disgusting. Yeah. He uh, he's really good at it, though. He's really good. at. Oh, he's people. he's a straight <laughs> badass. Yeah. And so um, is Adolin. And, and I like how they describe how shard bears have to like fight away from each other because if they like there's nothing that slows the blade down so it's hard like if you're if you're in like a killing arc with another shard bearer you could easily get hit yeah and i mean obviously if they're wearing plate plate is the only thing that stops the blade too mm -hmm. so yeah you'd be actually hindering each other if you were too close to each other yeah so they kind of have to jump the chasm and then kind of go their separate ways fighting in different mm -hmm. directions but what it does obviously is clear the way for them to lower the bridges and for the rest of the men to come across Mm -hmm. um, 
and they so they actually win this fight right mm-hmm. um and they claim the gem heart and he he notices though as they're claiming the gem heart that there is a parshendi shard bearer on yeah. the other side of the other other side of the chasm that was across from like his army so the opposite side standing there simply watching them claim the uh claim the gem heart and he finds it very strange that the shard bearer would not join the fight especially knowing that they had two shard bearers yeah exactly like why would you show up now yeah but this is important for later right yeah this it is, is yeah this is leading into something yeah like who much, that shard bearer is is important right uh anything else no, I, I like that chapter. I like any of the chapters where they go ham and shard plate. I think the way it's all described is very good. The your description of like um of like Dynasty Warriors is very perfect. So for well, I mean that's know, what that game felt like. It's like it's like all the normal soldiers can't even touch them. Yeah, and for anybody who doesn't know, like Dynasty Warriors is is like a RPG style game, but where you play as like a officer in this army, and the armies clash, but you are this powerful being who, yeah, when you come in and swing your weapon, like all the other dudes just go flying, like, yeah. <laughs> and that's so that's a very good way to put it. That yeah, they are like just the most powerful among all these normal soldiers. Uh, ready to move on to the next one? Yes, I am. Okay, so this is chasm duty. And this is this oh, is where yeah, it this starts is where getting it gets fucking dark. Yeah, this is where it gets very interesting, in my opinion. Um, so Kaladin, uh, now that he has kind of Teft and Rock kind of on his side, right? He still is. Um, he's still working on building all of these, uh, building up the rest of the bridgemen to kind of mm-hmm. join his cause. Um, and they it. Does this lead off with them? They had done a plateau assault, but they arrived before the Parshendi, so they suffered yeah. no casualties. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, somehow, Sadius loses that battle, which is kind of an important detail that they yeah. lost still, even though they arrived first, which is very, it's not very common because, like I said before, usually the Parshendi just run once they feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And it, it leads to the men being all like dejected, right? Yeah, like his in. yeah, Sadie's his men being a bunch of little little bitches. Yeah, <laughs> little bitch waffles. Um, but I like this next part where Kaladin takes the excess knobweed sap and he takes it back to the apothecary to sell it, and immediately the guy's like, "Oh, this this shit needs to be distilled. It's basically worthless. Uh, I'll give you like two chips for it." And Kaladin's like, "Wait a minute, you told me this was like." worth a lot of shit like worth a lot of money before why does it you, you're telling me now it needs to be distilled and still even tips him off and it's like he's lying about something yeah and so kaladin kind of discovers that like he's been harvesting the knobweed sap and like up market selling it to all the high princes because they don't know how much it's actually worth and how easy it actually is to obtain so kaladin like works out a deal with him so he can get a lot more money for it so yeah. he, so they basically have a steady stream of income now yeah, and isn't it he works out he will he'll sell it to the apothecary for half of what he sells it to the military for, right? Mm-hmm. Which is something like one sapphire brome or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Something like that. Which is like 
the two it's a, it's months like a, to pay. Yeah, or something? it's like a it's like a month or, or so of Kaladin's wages at oh, once. His, yeah, and because then the apothecary turns around and marks it up to two sapphire bromes mm -hmm. to the military. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so now Kaladin has kind of a steady source of income that he also still has to be careful with because if they realize he has this steady source of income as a bridgeman they will really start to question what he's doing also. Right, but the apothecary is also going to cover it up because he doesn't want to get in trouble for upselling the shit in the first place. For Yeah, because he, yeah, if they realized how much he's marking it up to them, he would also, yeah, be in deep shit, so. Mm -hmm. um, and then, that's right, Kaladin gets back and that's when Gaz is like, hey, you guys are on chasm duty now. And yeah. Which is the nastiest duty. Yeah, and Kaladin's like, what the hell, Gaz? He's like, I'm not taking the fall for this one. I'm telling them you did this. Mm -hmm. Because Gaz also thinks that if he messes with Kaladin enough that the men will start turning on him even more, is what I'm gathering. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, and so what they have to do during chasm duty is actually go out and go down into the chasms. At the lowest point, they send ladders down, and they go down into them. And then they have to walk along the bottom to find bodies to retrieve useful items off of. Yeah. Which sounds awful. Oh, it sounds so gross. And they'd be like rotting and all bloated from all the water and shit. Yeah, because that's, that's where mo pretty much only the water is in the uh, on the Shattered Plains is down in the bottom of the of the chasms because yeah, it's obviously it, the lowest point. And it rains so hard that it like fills with water in minutes. Yeah. Um... And I like the detail, too, that, like, where they send the ladders down, you know, it's pretty deep, like, you imagine about 50 feet or so. But then as they walk, they have to go down and get deeper to where mm -hmm. even even the chasm opening above doesn't really provide any light to where they're yeah, at. Yeah, it's down so dark. Down. Yeah, so they're using uh, spheres to light their way, usually. Mm -hmm. um, this is where, when they're picking through bodies right Kaladin picks up a spear yeah he does freaking performs his whatever kata. His kata yeah but he does it like to the point where when he's done and all it is is like just practicing movements but it's more in like a flashy way um and when he's done he turns around and realizes all the rest of bridge four is just staring at him yeah because that's not something most people can do, is be, like, that proficient with the weapon. Right, and he did it, like, super fast, super elegantly, and they could all kind of see Syl, like, whipping around him while yeah. he was doing this. Yeah, and that's kind of important because, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it it's been mentioned from before, though, that... It could be seen when Kaladin was performing these things that he possibly had windspread with him, mm -hmm. and that's obviously where that comes from. Um, this is also where Kaladin realizes for the first time that the Parshendi uh, don't wear armor, but it's grown carapace from their own body. Yeah. Um... Um, I don't think much else happens in the chasm, does it? I don't think so. He's Kaladin, though, is now also kind of worried that he just showed that to all those men. and he, It's like a double-edged sword for him. 
one, he thinks now maybe they might trust him a little bit more. But two, he's worried now that they'll rat him out. That yeah. He knows more than, you know, he's letting on and that he's actually dangerous. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, when they climb out of the chasm, I love this, that, that Kaladin, because uh, Rock is like, just a couple more weeks of this and uh, you'll have everybody on your side, Kaladin. And Kaladin's like, we don't have that long. Half of them will be dead by then. I need to unleash yeah. my secret weapon right now. And he's like, oh, what is your secret weapon? And he claps him on the shoulder. He's like, it's you, Rock. Yeah, I forgot about that. And so he gets Rock to make like a huge feast for them with all the money that he got from the the knobweed sap. So he gets a bunch of, of them together and gets like a huge cooking pot. And they have like a nice meal together Outside uh, all around barracks. a fire. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he thinks that that... It, it, like the men like hesitantly join but everybody who walks by he's like yeah go on come on have a seat and and eat and he thinks that there's nothing better to bring people together than something like that than sitting down and talking around a good hot meal right he he realizes right as they're in the chasms that some of the men are kind of joking that like this is what they're missing is like that that camaraderie and like laughing and smiling it's like what they need to really like reawaken these men Exactly. Like, doing things together that is not mm-hmm. just a bridge run, basically. Yeah. Um, I do like, too, in that chapter where they ha- they talk about um, if they get lost in the chasms, they could all be eaten by a chasm fiend. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, I heard about that. They Whatever, one of the teams came down here, and every last one of them was eaten by a chasm fiend. And Rock's like, or somebody, I don't know if it was Rock, but they're like, then how would they tell that story? He's yeah, like, well, exactly. what do you mean? He's like, you said they were all eaten by a chasm fiend. So who told you that story? <laughs> exactly. Who did indeed? <laughs> I think that's funny. Uh, yeah, anything else in that one? Uh, no. Okay, let's move on to chapter 28, Decision. And this is a little bit of Adolin and Dalinar's perspective, and I think we kind of have a hard switch in the middle of this one. Oh, is there? I think so. Um. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is okay. Yeah. So this is where. Oh, yeah. This is what you were talking bridge. about. Yeah. Yeah. He gave them the the go ahead to try this new bridge. So now they're uh, standing around watching them test it, and they're testing it over kind of a shallow thing, and the the bridge collapses once the chulls and the uh, the siege bridge get on top of it. Mm-hmm. So, but the guys are like, well, but if we make it any heavier, then the men can't carry it. So it's not still not as effective. So he yeah. So they basically have to scrap it, right? Yeah, it tells them that they uh, yeah, they need to try something different, basically. Um. Uh, what else? Is this where? No, never mind. Oh, this is uh, Adolin and Dalinar try to find all of the men that Sadius questioned. Oh, yay! Oh, that's right. And then the the freaking men that Sadius questioned kind of did Dalinar a disservice where they were very standoffish with Sadius and wouldn't give him any information, even though they didn't have anything to hide. Exactly, yeah. And the one guy's like, yeah, we weren't going to give that piece of sh- I mean... <laughs> that uh, slimy eel! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nothing, Bright Lord. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, Basically, Adolin and Dalinar are like, God damn it, that's even worse. Now you made it mm-hmm. look like we have something to hide. So, um, uh, let's see. 
oh, that's right. This is where Dalinar has his shard plate on, and he takes the hammer to dig trenches or to dig oh, latrines. Oh yeah, we did. He digs the latrine. That's right, just to like help him think. Yeah, and oh, okay, okay, yeah, I, I really remember this. It's interesting because he so Dalinar has them get him like this war hammer, which is way too big for a normal man to wield. Because I think he even mentions that two men have to bring it to him. Yeah, I yeah I imagine like two toadies on both sides of it. Yeah, well, in his shard plate, he's able to wield it, obviously like a normal weapon. And he uses this war hammer and he just starts smashing the stone on the ground to break it up for the men to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has these really kind of clashing thoughts because he's like, why do we only use shards for war? Like, yeah. why don't we use shards for normal tasks? Yeah, like, why well, Yeah, why did the Almighty only think about warriors and not the common man? Right. Um, And then Navani shows up, and she... What does she say? Like, she sa- asks something about why he's just smashing the rock, and he's like... She's like, yeah. why don't you use a shard blade? Oh, yeah, and he's like, have you ever seen a shard blade cut stone? The The... It's too tightly cut. You still have to remove the stone from the Yeah, trenches. and they're slippery, right? Because it would be a straight cut. It's Yeah, and they fit back together too so well that they don't come yeah. apart, really. So that's why he just breaks it up, and then the rest of the guys can scoop it out. And she also gives him a hard time because she was supposed to come by and read to him today, but he just forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he was smashing rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, she tells him that he has a span read waiting. Oh, okay, yeah. I was going to mention the span read. Yeah, that's from Yasna. And I don't know if we've talked about that yet. Have we? Um, We mentioned it a little bit with Shalon, because she, she writes home to Nanbalat, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so this is where we really get an idea of how the span read works. In that, Which is super cool when you think about the mechanics of the gemstone on the other side is just copying the movements. So it makes sense that you're like writing the same thing. Yeah, it's very interesting the way it works in the sense that, uh, like, when Yasna is writing on Dalinar's end, what he sees is basically like a quill just moving and writing the Mm -hmm. words on its own on that piece of paper. So, yeah, very cool. Um, And he has a conversation with her, and I like that Dalinar and Yasna have kind of little code words that they sneak Mm -hmm. into this conversation. Basically, like, Dalinar... uh, tells her like he dictates to this other ward to write back to her and like some of the words he mentions basically is saying you know there is company here that i don't know so don't say anything you don't want them to know but it's all very neat code words that they use yeah it is it is pretty cool um and then uh uh oh yeah and then yasna kind of takes a jab at her mom which is yeah which is pretty funny even though <laughs> Navani is standing right there. <laughs> yeah, don't trust her uncle. She yeah. bites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is funny. And, I mean, Yasna's whole thing, right, is that Yasna is... The reason Dalinar, I think, likes Yasna so much, not only because she's his niece, but he, the things she is doing are useful to like everyone in the world Mm -hmm. she's trying to decipher all of this old information to figure out why things are the way they are and it's really not that common for anyone else in this world it seems like to be doing that no and she she specifically asks him right if 
when they first met the Parshendi, if they saw any shard blades or shard bearers. Right. That's right. Um. Oh, and Shalon actually makes an appearance, right? Because she draws a chasm fiend. Sends the drawing. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that's right. Yasna says this. We found this. And it is the earliest depiction of a Voidbringer, right? Mm-hmm. And Dalinar and Adolin are both like, that's just a chasm fiend. And then they kind of go back and forth. They're like, well, maybe this is just what somebody, you know, they they thought that a Voidbringer might look like or something. They like just that. drew the most terrible thing they could think of. Right, exactly. So, um. And I think at the very end of this, there's just a really quick little bit about Dalinar mentioning to Navani that he is going to abdicate and leave Adolin in charge, right? Yeah, he's like, he's made up his mind. Yeah. And I think that's it, right? Yeah, and then that's so that, that's the end of part two. Right. And then the, we move to the interludes. Yep, that's the end of the normal chapters. So we will move on to interlude four, which is Risen. Which that, is, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's fine. I was just going to say that Risen is a name, not like a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um... so this chapter is basically about like this girl who's traveling with a merchant and they're going to the Shinlands and how different the Shin the Shinlands are because they actually have like soil and like grass as we would interpret it, like grass that doesn't like pull in. And like very normal trees, and there there's a lack of spren. Like you said, uh, so Shinovar would be in the west, right? Yeah. Because the high storms uh, start in the east and work mm -hmm. their way west, and by the time they get west, they are at their least destructive, right? Yeah. So I this place is, is relatively normal to us. Right. Like, they actually have soil and, like, are able to grow normal crops, not, like, in these rock buds. And she just finds it, like, very creepy and disturbing and yeah. doesn't like it. Yeah, because she mentions, like, getting it down and, like, feeling the soil and how mm -hmm. weird it is. Yeah. And the fact that, like you said, there's just grass out, which is not very common in the areas she comes from. Mm -hmm. um, and and this, this chapter is basically, I feel like, just a slice of, like, the Shin culture because we get, we get a little bit of bartering. With this merchant and the Shin guy, which is basically just like negging your own stuff. Yeah. And like, like basically telling people they're, it's really nice of them to take stuff like off of your hands. That's not very good. Yeah. Because the Shin are really honest people. Right. And it's a very honest merchant exchange. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not trying to screw each other over or anything yeah. like that. Um, and is this where they exchange like the chickens for like the, the metal Soul cast metal yeah right yeah yeah um and i like that the guy explains um that it's useless to them because it's just it's just like pieces of metal right mm -hmm. and the shin guy is like yeah but this is useful you know you can heat it up and you can and shape it and stuff and this guy's like why we just take wood and we carve it into what we want and then we soul cast it into metal in the exact shape we want it in. Mm -hmm. So he's yeah. basically like, you're working too hard to shape your metal. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of interesting. It's, it's, I, I like those, we don't get a ton of Shinovar in this, 
but it, I, it just I feel like these pieces really fill out the world to me. Sure. Also, isn't it kind of mentioned that the stim, which is the Shin, is that the Shin guy they're trading with? Yeah, I, I believe so. Or is Vistim? Oh, that no. might be her Babsk. I don't yeah. remember. Vistim is her. That's right. That's how it ties in. That's Risen's. Like that's the main uh, merchant she's traveling with. Mm-hmm. And he is now in control of Zeth, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um. But he. That's right. It's mentioned that he had control of Zeth, but he traded him away. That's right. right, because he was like kind of scary. Yes, exactly. Um, do they also mention? Aren't these the people who mentioned they have like a Fabriel that they set up that? Yeah, has, that can like, detect proximity people. detection. Yeah. yeah, which I thought was interesting that they kind of have these little magical devices that are not widely used because I'm sure they're extremely hard to get a hold of, is what I imagine. Uh, anything else on that one? Uh, no. Okay, let's move on to Interlude 5. This is Axes the Collector. And I have an interesting theory on this. I don't know if it plays out or not. Um, this one is kind of about this dude. He like wakes up in an alleyway, um, and he's all freaking. Oh yeah, he wakes up next to the bum, and the bum tries to charge him for sleeping in his alley. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Axes has like a headache because he's like hungover. Is kind of what I get mm-hmm. the idea. Of. He's also like partially naked, but he also has writing all over him, right? Like tattoos. Well, it, that he does to himself. Yeah, I believe because he takes notes on his own skin. Well, because he doesn't have any paper, right? Yeah, he's naked. Uh, and it mentions that he is an Amen, is that or Amian, and that he has like blue fingernails and blue eyes, right? Yeah, and his shadow goes the wrong way; it goes towards light. Yeah, instead of away from light, which is very interesting. <laughs> oh, that'd be so scary, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's. It's a pretty cool concept. Um, this one though is a because he then goes and talks to somebody right about Spren, right? Mm-hmm. About like a test that they're doing on some Spren. And I'm probably skipping some stuff because this is actually kind of long. A long. This interview. one is super super long. Yeah. But this he's was... trying to catalog every Spren ever. Is what he's yeah. trying to do. Mm-hmm. And doesn't he go and talk to them about the Spren changing sizes or something like that? And, like, what the smallest one they've ever encountered was versus the largest one of yeah. those same ones or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else does he do? Uh, and, oh, and it, it mentions, like, the large spren right the largest spren or something like that the largest like gods that they say they are gods and i think that that's leading up to because doesn't shallan visit that island where they have that like creature that shows up every so often am i remembering that right i maybe i feel like that's what he's talking about i that she sees in the water yes that you're talking about yes I feel like that, she has like the weird like turtle mask that she puts on. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of what 
it's He's like foreshadowing. About? Yeah. Okay. I I never put those pieces together, but I think you're right. I'm not very smart. <laughs> um. But yeah, this this was one of the few parts in the book where I was kind of confused. Oh, the first time I listened to this, I, I'm going to be honest, even on the second listen, I'm still like, I don't know a lot about this guy. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, mostly what he's doing is just like cataloging this information about Sprint. But I have a theory on who I think this is, and I don't know for sure. But then again, we've had those theories before, and apparently at this point, any of them could be true. So I, I don't think he is who you think he is. No? I know. Okay. I, but I like to at the very end of this that like he got some like clothes and immediately somebody takes them from him and the guards like arrest him again because he's naked and oh, yeah he's not street. supposed to be naked <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he doesn't really care and we don't really know why at this point but it seems like this happens to him all the time that he gets mm -hmm. like arrested and it doesn't seem to matter for him yeah because he's like immortal right yeah. Well, yeah. Or something spoiler, like that. Spoiler alert. Possibly, yeah. I thought he talks about that. That he, like, can't be killed. Yeah, I feel like you're right. That he mentions something. And he mentions about, like, how long he's been alive. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, and the amount of work he has done to catalog this information. Um, but we'll move on to the last one, which is Interlude 6. And this one is a work of art. And this is zeth yeah our token zeth chapter this is the episode or this is the interlude where zeth his so he works at like a casino right uh that would is it a casino or like he a, just he just like works in the criminal underground i guess a casino is probably about right i i was thinking that it was like a, a casino because then he mentions that another casino has moved into town so his current oh, mission, and he's going to kill that guy. Yeah, his current mission is to go. He currently works for the casino's owner, and the casino owner tells him that that other casino is giving them too much competition, and he needs to go get rid of the owner. And I like that uh, Zeth kind of, you know, goes through all this stuff in order to get there, and then when he gets there, the dude who he's supposed to kill. His freaking head is like already on the table. Of his yeah, like desk. waiting for him. Yeah, and he's like, "Holy shit! Wait a minute, what?" And this dude kind of comes out, and he explains that Zeth is being underutilized in what he's doing, and now he's going to come work for them. And Zeth's like, "Yeah, but my oath stone." And then that dude sets the other. <laughs> The casino owner who he works for's head on the table also like he in the time it took zeth to get from one casino to the other that dude had already killed his previous master and brought him over there and then he holds out zeth's oath stone and he's like you now work for us and we will put you to much better use than you're doing now and i was like holy shit these are <laughs> this is like the <laughs> The Dark Brotherhood from like Skyrim. It really is, yeah. <laughs> it is a lot like that. That's what it reminded me of. But yeah, pretty cool. It's also, I thought it was interesting because it's very uncommon for Zeth to be unnerved. Yeah, it is. And this dude unnerved Zeth 
like when the fact that he was able to assassinate his master without Zeth knowing and then also show up here ahead of him is very uncommon because Zeth is like the best at what he does. So But yeah, uh that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. I think so. I think we I think we got it all. At least this part. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that was part 2 of yeah, the way of kings. <laughs> um again, we're going to try to keep doing this obviously, so there should be two more episodes of this. Yeah, no, part 3 and part 4. There's part so. 5 too, but it's short. Oh, there is a part five that is short. We'll probably wrap that all up with part four. Probably do part four and five. Yeah, that sounds good to me. It'll just probably be a long boy of an episode. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, these ones, they're just going to be long. So hopefully you guys enjoy them. Uh, let us know if you do. Let us know if you don't. Um, yeah, they they tend to be relatively long, both because there's a lot of information here, and we obviously have a lot of side tangents we like to go on about. Yeah, we do. So it's just bullshit. Yeah. And and please feel free to let us know, you know, if we get something wrong, you know, feel free to let us know that we're dumb and, you know, listen up, idiots. Yeah. Uh, it's like this because we'll promptly call you a nerd and be like, whatever, man. <clears throat> um, no, just kidding. Any conversations <laughs> about the way of kings is or. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would love it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you got anything? Got anything else what? before we hang this, this one up? Just thank you all for listening. I really appreciate each and every single one of you and appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate it. And the only thing we ask, you know, if you if you like what we do, if you don't like what we do, just let us know. And with that, we'll catch you guys in the next one. <laughs>